I can't do this. Sure you can. Who knows, you might like it. It's a killer rush. Buddy, this is your f***ing wake-up call, man. I am an FBI agent. I know, man, isn't it wild? All right, kids, April seminar is sold out. So your next available opportunity is June 9th through the 11th, then August 11th through the 13th. We have a self-sufficient lifter camp going on May 13th in Wichita Falls, and then another one May 20th in Omaha at Testify Strength and Conditioning. Just added a lift shoot fight camp July 8th through the 9th. That's a two-day camp covering lifting, shooting, and fighting in Wichita Falls. Still some spots available for our camps in Seoul, South Korea. We got a squat camp going on in the morning, and then a deadlift and power clean camp going on in the afternoon. That is on April 9th. And then for squat and deadlift camps with spots still available, April 30th in Baltimore at 5x3 training. Just added another one on Long Island, June 11th in Babylon, and June 18th in Singapore at Hygieia Strength and Conditioning. And then some announcements for starting strength gyms. We do have Tampa set to open this week, Monday, April the 4th. Congratulations to them. Just announced St. Louis is on board and signed up. So look out for that. More gyms yet to come, Salt Lake City. Omaha, Indianapolis coming online, Birmingham, Nashville, Miami, and so on. For an up-to-date list, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com and check out the locations tab. And for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's that time again, boys and girls. We're here with our friend John Musser. And John and I are going to talk about the movies. And I know these are your favorite episodes. They're our favorite episodes, too. Because who doesn't like watching movies? We all like watching movies, unless we're of below-average intelligence. And those of us of below-average intelligence are not watching this podcast anyway. So those of you watching this podcast like to watch the movies, and we're going to talk about the movies today, and we're going to talk about... Uh, Oh, we've, we've talked about different genres of movies in the past. We've talked about westerns and and uh, space movies. And uh, what else we talk about genre-wise? Talked about horror movies. Talked about monster horror, movies. Monster. Monster movies, yeah. We talked yeah. about, we didn't talk about like chick Western. flicks, did we? we westerns. Never, we talked about westerns. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't discuss... Uh, the incredible lightness of being. No, we'll have to work that no. in at some point, I guess. Uh, I've got all of the box sets of that and all of the uh, laser disc versions of it. I've got all of that. I'm sure you do. Right here, waiting to fire up. In fact, right. it's probably on the player right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah I, so I missed that one myself. So uh, <laughs> the, I'll ship it. the uh, bitches of Madison County. I, I don't have oh, that. That was the bridge. I'm sorry. The bridges. That was a. That was a, uh, a Clint Eastwood movie, wasn't it? That was that on Beta. Kind of a. On, yeah. Kind of a uh, departure from him, wasn't it? 
Just yeah, he falls off the. Yeah, he falls off the trailer. He falls off the wagon every once in a while and does something silly. So yeah. Right, but unforgiving makes up for it. So it makes up for all of it. That's right. Yep, it really does. Anyway, uh, today we're going to do something a little different. This is what we're going to do today. Are you guys ready? We're going to talk about our favorite movies, irrespective of genre. We're going to talk about our favorite movies of all time. Now, now for we me, don't, we don't pretend that these are the best movies. We just say that they're our favorite. They're our these favorite. Are- Wait, we're not saying these are the best movies at all. In fact, my top five, I don't think there's a single movie in my top five that rises above a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> you know, if it's if it's real high on Rotten Tomatoes, I probably won't like it. That's a good sign. That's a good you know, indicator. It's a, it's, a, it's a disqualifier if the thing's 98 on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, uh, you know, these are our favorite movies. Now, for me, my favorite movies are the ones that I find myself watching over and over and over again. Uh, Now, I watch a movie basically every night. Every night I come home and I walk in the house and I'll pour myself a little drink and I'll decide what I'm going to eat for supper and I'll kind of start that and then I'll go over to my big giant stack of movies and I'll uh, I'll pick one out and I'll watch it, and you know for a you know for the couple of weeks in front of a show like this, I will review the ones that I've got in my in my pile that that I watch over and over again. But my criteria for my favorite movies are the ones that I find myself watching repeatedly. And like for example, for Atomic Blonde, one of my favorite movies. I probably watched that movie fifteen times. Which I one? get tired of it. Atomic what? Blonde. Atomic Blonde. Yeah, I've watched yeah. it fifteen times. I just the ones I don't get tired of are my favorite movies. Yeah, and even though Atomic Blonde doesn't make the top five, you kind of get the idea. I don't have, and I don't stream movies. John streams, and yeah. and I don't have any streaming service because I live way out in the county. And I don't want somebody else deciding for me what I get to stream and what I don't get to stream. So I just buy the damn things. I buy them on DVD and Blu-ray, and they work just fine. And I've got that's a real, that's a real concern because they will change that movie and they'll deny it. So that's a real concern. I, I I've just did a new phase of getting rid of shit. Um, so I don't like to have anything. I try to have as little stuff as possible anymore. But the um, uh, that is a real concern. You you like a movie, they'll they'll pull a clip from it. And they'll they'll change it. They'll make it fit their idea of what it should be. You know. Well, I mean, the most famous example of that is the first Star Wars movie. You know, so Lucas goes back and adds dinosaurs to the goddamn thing, and you can't find a DVD Blu-ray copy of the original version of the film. And I don't want to watch this stupid fucking thing with a bunch of dinosaurs painted into the into the movie. I want to watch the Star Wars movie. It, right? it's like from 78. I want to watch that version of it, and, and they won't let me. And they, had they, I had enough presence of mind to have bought that DVD 20 years ago or bought it and not given it away to somebody, then I would be able to watch it because I would own the medium. 
But if I'm relying on Netflix to provide me with the approved version of the damn thing, then I have to watch this adulterated bullshit. And I want to see it. It's a different movie than you enjoyed. Yes, it is. It's a different movie than you liked, yeah. And when I see stuff like that, it annoys me. It make it makes me mm-hmm. mad. It right. annoys makes me not want to support them with you my know, money. It, that's absolutely true. I mean, yeah. the man made the movie in 1978, but he thinks he's so smart now that he gets to go back and reconfigure what was just fine at the time without any respect for the history of the movie itself. Because he thinks, well, it's my movie. I can do what I want to with it. Well, you know what? Really, it's not. Really, it's not your movie anymore. It's everybody else's movie that enjoyed it the way it was. And you're now denying everybody the experience that you provided for them in 1978. And uh, that's the one I want to see. You know, if I want to see the new one, I'll buy one that you call the new version or whatever the hell you want to call it. But if I want to buy Star Wars, I want it to say Star Wars. Yeah. And I want to buy what I went to the movie in 1978 to see. That's what I want to watch. That'll, that'll drive me away from the artists that allow people to change their characters, that allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. That'll drive away from enjoying their... Uh, their their new work i don't i don't appreciate that i like to see it the way i like to see it uh every once in a while a director's cut will come out that's very interesting i view that as a different thing because i've got the option of watching one or the other and comparing it but you know when you go to star wars and you make it look like uh han solo didn't shoot first when you make that change about his who he is as a character then that sets you up for what they do to him uh, and the most recent ones, and I can't watch it anymore. I can't watch yeah. any of that series anymore. I haven't watched it since. Uh, I hadn't watched that that shit in years and years and years. Because when they first changed that thing, it seems like I watched it. it seems like I bought a copy of that thing, and and here are all these extra things walking around in the shot that weren't there to begin with, and I, I it just confused me. Took you out and of the mood. It it took me out of the mood, and I. The further into it I got and the more things I noticed that were changed, I just, you know, I just decided this is not, you know, this is not what I wanted to see. I want to see the movie I wanted to see, not the movie he wanted me to see. And, you know, I can't can't tell you how irritating that is, but uh, that's why I buy DVDs and Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. So I've got it frozen in time, and I, what a wonderful format DVD and Blu-ray is. What a wonderful format. You can watch that thing a thousand times, and you don't damage the recording. You know, it's not like a vinyl record, you know, that gets Q-burned. It's a, it's a, it's a damageless recording system. It's wonderful development, and... Uh, They'll much better than tapes. Much better than VHS tapes. There'll, there'll still be occasion where I'll watch a movie that I haven't seen on a big screen in high def. And it, the amount of detail that you see, it really helps you appreciate the vision that that director yeah. has performances. It right. really does. Yeah, the, the things he could see. Yeah, when, right. When he right. was shooting it, now you can see too. You're yeah. not just seeing 70% of it. You're seeing the whole damn thing. Okay. And that's that's good. 
you know. That's real good. So what we've done, boys and girls, is we have divided our movies here into two into two groups. One is honorable mention. Those that are good, our favorite movies, but just didn't rise to the level for one reason or another of the top five. And then we've got our own top five. And uh, uh, top five is, uh, you know, top five of all time. We're old guys. You know, these movies go back to the 60s. So we've got a long span here of of movie watching. And, uh, you know, I've been... uh, I've been doing this since they invented the VHS player. I never had a beta, but I had a VHS player a long time ago, and I've been watching movies for, God, what's that, 40 years? At least 40 years, right? Oh, yeah. When did they come up with VHS? You remember? I don't have a damn clue. I know I was. It was in the 70s. I know it was in the 70s, wasn't it? Been, they were big, giant, top-load monstrosities in the beginning. Yeah. 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 That's been a while, yeah. Yeah, they were. Uh, so, I, you know, I, it, it seemed like it was, well, maybe it was the middle 80s. I can't remember, but it, it, <laughs> it was a long-ass time ago, and it was a fabulous development. And if you'll remember, those of you kids don't remember this, but every corner of the, of the street in town had a video rental place on it. And that's where Blockbuster came from. And every town had its own little collection of, of video rental stores. And what you'd do is Friday afternoon, on the way home from work, you'd go by the video store and you'd rent a movie. And, you know, you'd have everybody over and you guys would watch a movie Friday night. And then you'd bring it back Saturday morning, get another one, watch another one Saturday night. And it, it became a deal. You know, and you it, heard it the value of. You learned the value of returning something on time because late fees yes. added up very quickly. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, and you, you, you end up you, taking Puppet Master two back a week late. It cost you. It cost you a bunch of money, and it it wasn't worth it. wasn't that good a movie? No, you know, but it, but you want to see the thing? You rent the movie for three bucks. You take it back. See, the movie store probably paid twenty five dollars for it. They rent it five times, and they're in the black. You know, and VHS is a pretty durable format. You had to really play the shit out of a VHS tape to wear it out, you know, or your machine tore it up, in which case you got to buy the movie. But, uh, you know, it, it, here's another thing it taught rented movies, movies that you watch in your house allowed you to fast forward and rewind and over and watch things that were of interest to you over and over again. You learned what the director did. You learned what the special effects guys did. You learned what acting was all about because somebody would would do a scene and read some lines and you were fascinated by that. And you backed it up and watched it again and developed an appreciation for the things it took to make the movie. So these things were very, very important to to american culture back 40 years ago when we were first doing these things the effort the effort involved in even a bad movie the amount of effort the amount of logistics amount of work even in a bad movie movie is hard to get your head wrapped around right right? and even if the movie doesn't make any money you think it doesn't make any money it's still 
worked to employ these people that were making that movie. Right. And I always appreciate that stuff. It, it's, it's very hard for me to say something's a bad movie because I know how much damn work there is involved in it. Right. And John has been there and done that. He's been on movie sets and uh, worked in various capacities on movie sets. And that's one of the reasons we like to have John on the show, because he's got a perspective on this that you and I don't have. And and we value that perspective. And, and he knows that even a shitty movie was hard to make. There's a lot of work that went into a shitty movie. Now, why is a movie shitty and why is it not shitty? Well, sometimes it's just as simple as the script. You know, the producers decided to make a movie out of the wrong script. And we've seen those over and over again. There are hundreds of thousands of instances of things that should never have been made. It could be a, it can be a variety of things. It generally, you can lay it on the the script in the beginning or in my position is that if the director doesn't have a clear what he wants, that's our, more recently we've had uh, the studios coming in and making tweaks that can turn a decent movie and a decent script that can turn it into crap pretty easy. You know, they do, they do something now um, called uh, scrapbook uh, movie making where they'll, they'll film four or five different scenes and then they'll see how those play and then they'll scrapbook those scenes together um, instead of having a clear vision, you know, so that can right. have an impact on a movie too. Yeah. That's exactly the opposite of Kubrick's approach. Yes. His vision was his vision. <laughs> Kubrick, he liked it. Kubrick wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> he had <a> <laughs> yeah. Had, had he done it that way, he would never would have made Barry Lyndon, would he? <laughs> well, he Eastwood uh, too it's got a vision of what he wants and and it's it is that's it that's, that's right and if you don't like it don't watch it don't watch it that's right yeah. so uh anyway that's where that's where all of this comes from it comes from home movies you know i don't think anybody sits around in a movie theater that often anymore uh i'll bet you know professional movie critics don't go to the show i think they screen all their shit in their house because it's it, it's just less time involved and it's easier saying same professional say critic is kind of a tough one we don't even know if most of the critics watch the majority of the movies that they that they write about we don't know that they're not just simply reading the party line when they get it and told you know, to that's like a very good point you know i've i've read a bunch of yeah. i mean it, it's never ceases to amaze me that the movies I like the best are the ones that the critics just beat the shit out of for no apparent reason or for just reasons they just dreamed up because they're not supposed to like a movie that's like this. Yeah. Like 13th Warrior is down here on my list of uh, honorable mentions. I love that movie. Right. I've watched it a dozen times. I just love the thing. There are a few little minor problems with it. It's not a perfect film. But for the thing to be 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, that's right. You guys didn't even watch it. You didn't yeah. watch it. You heard Omar Sharif say it was bad. And so you have to agree with the actor that it was bad and that he's embarrassed about it and all this other shit. When the genius of the movie is uh, 
there, there's a there's a feeling to that film that's just real important, and I love it. I just love the thing. It was shot on location in British Columbia. The outdoor sets are big and huge and impressive. It looks like Norway. And uh, they spent a bunch of money on the ships. And they they spent a bunch of money on the sets and the buildings. And if you've read, if you've read Michael Crichton's novel, The Eaters of the Dead, that, that, that film was based on. Uh, there's a whole nother little plot twist in that thing that's not really in the movie because it would have taken too much time. But uh, and that we're going to revisit that because that happens quite a bit. Things get left out that should have been in there. But Thirteenth Warrior is one of my favorite movies, and I, everybody I hated the damn thing that was you know, in a position to to review it. I've not seen it, or I hadn't even considered it. I don't even know that I knew that it existed until you mentioned it. And then I watched it. I liked it quite a bit. I didn't see anything hateful with it. I've seen a, I mean, it was very interesting. It was entertaining. It kept me, it kept me engaged. You like the characters. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So often when you read a review, look at the, the person reviewing it. Generally, they're following a script. They've been told what to say, right? Yeah, uh, they have the same. They, they same say something. Scrippers all the time. They're going to lose access. Somebody won't give them a little, a little bag of cool stuff when they go to the next premiere. So yeah, it's it's it is uh, it's not being dismissive, but you can read those reviews, and sometimes and what they don't like, it will indicate what you're going to probably like about the movie. Right. So um, so that so they're interesting to read, but they're not they're not indicative of whether the movie's good or bad. Right. Uh, what well, what do you got? What do you got on the? What do you got on the honorable mention side? Where well, you start? let's start with that. Thirteenth Warriors, the one 13th I've got Warriors. down here. Right. Uh, and I just recently went through on my my movie shelf, and I, I, you know, there's going to be a few things here. If I look at this next week, there's going to be some shit in here that I've left out. But this is a pretty good representative sample of the kind of things I like, and uh, the honorable mentions you know, in any other context would be in the top five. But, uh, oh, I just watched <laughs> the other night. I just watched, and these are all genre movies. These are not all, these are not all. And, and let me, let me, here's another thing that I, that I need to, uh, I'm going to be different than, than John in terms of the way I pick these movies to watch. Because for example, I'm not going to watch the green mile or the Shawshank Redemption. I'm not going to watch them because they're prison movies. And I don't watch prison movies because I watch movies because the movie makes me want to be there instead of here. All right. So I get to go there instead of being here. And I don't want to go to prison. So you're not I'm not going to watch a prison. I don't care if it's the best movie that's ever been made. I'm not watching the Shawshank Redemption because I don't want to be in jail. All right. Do you want to fire up the bad lieutenant and watch it? Watch it again a couple that times. Goddamn thing, that goddamn That is like a sentence. That's like if you like armed robbery, you got to watch the bad lieutenant three times a day for twelve years. That's, I, that's 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 the that's the price you paid for that armed robbery. You know, oh my God. Oh, it's so awful. 
It's so <laughs> fucking awful. But uh, so for that, that's that's my criteria. So I watched. Here's here's in my list of the honorable mention. The other night I watched one of my favorite comedy movies, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> now, Big Trouble in Little China is fun. That's a fun movie. Kurt Russell did such a good job in this thing. Kurt Russell is uh, is kind of a goofball, and he's running around with his little Asian sidekick buddy, played by Dennis Dunn, and uh, oh, there's you know Asian mysticism and magic and supernatural shit going on. There's a big ugly monster at the end of the thing. There's it's a tractor trailer. You got a yeah. tractor trailer. You know, big truck down, running down an alley, and 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 all the you know gangs fighting against each other. Good gang fighting against the bad gang. And uh, what's his it, name? It, I'm it, Jack. I'm Jack. Me, Jack, something or other. Yeah, Jack Burton. I'm Jack <laughs> Burton. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's on his CB radio driving down the highway and shit. What is what is. What does Jack Burton do in a situation like that? Well, what old Jack Burton does is he says, what the hell? <laughs> he's he's got know, a technique runs it, around with. I don't think he ever shoots anybody with it. He shoots it up in the air and I yeah, never shoot it's, anybody. It's, it's an amazing movie. It really is. Uh, it's a John Carpenter film. It's it's John Carpenter is, you know, of course, famous to those of us that uh, – watch a bunch of movies is the is the guy that did the thing john carpenter is a versatile a very versatile filmmaker this is one of the funniest movies that's ever been made and there's just a it's just odd it's got a real odd vibe to it and it's just funnier than hell and if you haven't watched big trouble in little china and this is going to go without saying for all these movies tonight uh that we're we're talking about today you you need to watch Big Trouble in Little China, and and uh, it's a good watch. It's a good, good movie. Good, and, solid. Uh, so that and Thirteenth Warrior mm-hmm. are down here on my list. What's what's your? Uh, I'm, I'm going to start on, at the at the bottom with a with a sort of a class of movies, and this is in response to some of the movies I've seen lately. If if you enjoy the superhero genre, you enjoy comic book characters, and you can watch an animated movie. And I would invite you to explore some of the DC animated movies that are out there. All right? They vary in quality, but as a rule, they all stick to what you would recognize the character as. So when you see Batman or Superman or The Flash in a DC animated movie, He's going to more resemble the character that you maybe grew up with or the character that's been successful for, what, 70 years, right? The traits of that character. So there's a whole bunch of DC animated movies out there. You can get lists to see what online to write them with. Um, The uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm is one of the earlier ones, and it's a film noir. That's not a bad one to start with. They improve... uh, they change a little bit moving forward, and they become less more more less film noir and more uh, uh, the animation changes and all that. But uh, check out the DC animated movies. Uh, really do it. I would uh, if you like the Justice League movie, Justice League vs. Titans 
is very entertaining. These are quick watches. They're usually an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes. The animation is usually uh, well done. And the characters, the storylines are simple, but the characters behave as if they would, right? As, as you would imagine that they would uh, based on uh, their historical, uh, uh, the way the writers, I believe, the original creators intended. Uh, the Suicide Squad, we haven't had a good Suicide Squad movie in theaters. The two animated Suicide Squads, one called Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, and the other one is Batman Assault on Arkham, and it may as well be a Suicide Squad movie. Both of those are far superior movies in story and delivery than anything that Suicide Squad's done so far. So I would, uh, I would give those a shot, especially uh, like uh, Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox. That's not a necessarily a good one to start with because it, uh, it, you would be better off watching a few of the other ones first. But if you can stand animated movies, uh, give those a shot if you haven't. Now, if you're, if you're a comics fan, you've probably already watched these. But if you, can, if you want to give them a shot, I would, I would uh, recommend you do that. Well, uh, here's another uh, thing that we're going to talk about as kind of a group of films is uh, the James Bond movies. Now, when I when I talk about the James Bond movies, uh, I'm specifically referring to the Daniel Craig, the last five James Bond movies. I have tried to go back and watch the earlier ones, Goldfinger, Dr. No, Thunderball, and the stuff with uh, uh, the other guys that played James Bond. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Timothy Dalton was in, yeah. what, three of them? And... Uh, Pierce Brosnan was was in two or three or four, and uh, a guy named Lazenby was in one. George Lazenby. George Lazenby was in one of the things, and uh, you know, and of course Sean Connery started the thing off. But when I the 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 couple of times I have gone back to look at those things, having already been exposed to. The new version of the of the of the franchise with Daniel Craig, it's just they're just too dated. The they're campy and silly compared to the 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 Daniel Craig movies since Barbara Broccoli has been in charge of that franchise. Those things are is they're just perfect movies. They're they're I, really, really, really good and they make the old ones just look not good anymore and i I remember when i was a kid john and i know you did this too you went to the show and saw hell we went to the show uh what was it christmas night to see thunderball back a long time ago home run going to the movie on christmas Christmas night oh yeah it was soft thunderball on christmas night at the theater downtown it was it was so much fun and uh but looking at Thunderball now in the context of having seen the new scripts and the new production values and the new acting and the whole thing that just, you know, the, the Craig movies just turned the thing on its head and make everything else just hard to watch. You know, so just the, so good. The first, the first uh, Craig Bond movie uh, based on the first novel, I would guess, right? Casino uh, Royale. It's, I I've watched that, that movie eight or ten times. It's a I, fabulous I film. That, 
superb. I thought that was superb. I thought that they played James Bond uh, closer to what he was in the novels, perhaps. Yes. Uh, he, you know, he's a well-dressed thug is about what he amounts to be, right? And it was played very close to that. The, the issue that I had as those movies progressed, and it's why I haven't watched the last one, and I won't watch the last one, um, it, he started whining too much for me. And I, I couldn't hardly get over that whininess in the character. Now, you can't compare the production values. Well, you, if you compare the production values and the script and lighting and the story, and all, if you compare that to the older movies, then they don't just hold up, right? I mean, it, because it's a it's a snapshot of the time that they were made. Right, right. right. It's te- they're so, technically different films. Different films. But the his character got... To me, it got so whiny compared to a Sean Connery character or even one of the right. more. No, I know what you mean. Humor, you know? And it was like when he lost Vesper Lind, when Vesper Lind got killed in the first yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, yes, you're, you're right. That sorrow yeah. permeated the character in all of the subsequent films. And that's what you're seeing is that yeah. human aspect of bond that was not portrayed in any of the previous versions of the movie. And no. I don't, I'm, I'm not adversely affected by that. I thought it was an important development that, that they were willing to show that this guy's actually a human being and not just a wet robot, but he's, uh, you know, I thought it was, a, I it, I could see how it bothered you. And I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a, there was a, there was some sorrow yeah. in there that, that, was not present in the Connery version, Connery iterations of the characters. Connery's James Bond just didn't give a shit. No. You know. So it, to, to go along with what you just said about his, his wife, Vesper, best being killed, do you remember, was it Lazenby whose wife was killed in the car crash and then Roger Moore took over in the, in the next movie and he just, the big bad that killed the guy's wife, he dropped him down a smokestack with a helicopter was that the the very follow up scene? I don't I don't remember, <laughs> but it, 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 like, no, this is a very different movie here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Bond movies, when I grouped those together, I'm talking about the last five, and I, you know, they started in 2006 with Casino Royale, and uh, the last one was called uh, Is that No Time to Die? Mm, I think so. I was the last one of the of those five. The best one I thought by far was Skyfall. That that's one of the better movies I've ever seen. Ever. Skyfall and, was with with Judy uh, Judy Dench still right? Is that right? Yes, she was. That was when she got killed. Is Skyfall? Yeah. So Javier Bardem was the was the bad guy in this thing. He was a marvelous psychopath i mean that guy's you know an actor that can play a psychopath like that must be a psychopath i liked i I liked seeing i I liked seeing judy dench flex a little bit in that movie i liked i liked her getting a little bit more range out of her but casino royale still to me maybe it was because of the previous bond movies had set this more serious tone up right casino Oh, to me, just really set the stage. Like this is what this guy's going to be, and this is what we are moving forward. Right. No, you're right. That was the that was the the most dramatic reintroduction of yeah. a franchise 
where it had, you know, you know, to some level had deteriorated into just silliness. But now we're back to the literature. We're back to the first Ian Fleming novel and uh, back to the, the novel Casino Royale. And the, then the movie followed the novel. Yeah. And it was a, it was a serious attempt to remake the book. Yes. And uh, I just enjoyed the hell, that poker game. That was that was right. cool. That right. whole and that whole thing was the increased production values and the, and the and the better the tighter scripts. They make things that are spectacular more believable too, yes. right? Like right. him getting advice on how to save himself and push the right buttons and analyze this and all that stuff. That they sold that and you bought it, right? Right. In the context of the movie, you bought it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So the Bond movies are kind of a group together. Uh, uh, and I'm going to go ahead right now and uh, get this over with. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, those three films were some of the most important films that have ever been made. It was a landmark conversion of of classic literature and i'm just yeah tolkien is classic literature oh yes he is yeah creating uh, into a film I, I don't think another conversion of that level of literature into that level of film has ever been accomplished peter jackson is a fucking genius and it's, that was he respected he respected the source material so much yes i, I came to yes, that he did I, I never saw those in the theater i came to it late to the party uh, but I started watching them probably, I don't know, 15, maybe eight, 18 years. And, uh, you know, you just watch them over and over again and you, you see the respect for the characters yes. and you research it and you see how much, uh, Peter Jackson cared about these characters and the source material, uh, especially compared to recent efforts. You can really see the difference. Those, if, if you're a fan of that, if you've got the patience for it, and you're a fan of good acting and and respect to source material, then you got to watch those movies. Well, if, I saw all seen, three uh, of them at the theater. That was that's back yeah. when I was actually going to the theater, and we would we were just oh my god, the Lord of the Rings is is here Friday. So, <laughs> and, and what I would do is I would go to the last feature Sunday night because nobody's in the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, relative to friday night i don't have to deal with a bunch of people so that's when i would always go to the show was sunday night and last feature sunday night and you know uh these are the original theatrical edits sure and then oh probably five years later maybe four years later they they turned out the extended versions and if you look at the extended versions of all three of those films there's another full three three and a half hours of material really? it was not in the theater oh yeah oh yeah I have, a, hmm. you have you not seen the extended I, versions i haven't i haven't purchased the uh the most recent whatever deliveries of them on extended this versions. is these are 15 years ago they they've they've been out in extended version for a long 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 time and it's it's entire uh plot lines that were omitted from the 
from the theatrical release because, of course, we can't have a movie in the theater longer than two and a half hours because, you know, people get bored and they want a burrito and, you know, they're whatever the fuck the deal is. And they, they, they think movie audiences do not have the patience for a long theatrical release. And so nowadays what you do is you release the short version and then you depend on an interested uh, audience member to pick up the re-release in, in DVD or, or, or streaming after the theatrical release is done. There have been several examples of that, one of which we're going to talk about in the top five. But uh, Lord of the Rings is, they added a whole nother long movie to that trilogy with the extended release. I'll pick up one of those sets. I'll, yeah, I'm you sure. need to do that because it's, yeah, it, it's a different deal. It yeah. really is an important, important addition. They made important additions to each one of those films. That, like all of them have another hour. Mm-hmm. You know, they're an hour longer than the, the original version. The, the, uh, one of the things that stuck out about that movie is the respect that they pay towards what could also, that could be minor characters, right? Right. Almost like they all had a story to tell, you know, and, and they were, they were respectful of those characters. And I really liked that. I really enjoy that. Well, each, they, each, you know, they left some part. stuff out. I mean, they couldn't, I mean, it's, you know what, it's an 800 page novel and you can't put like the Tom Bombadil line. That's not in the, in the films, but it didn't need to be. When's the last time you read that novel? Oh, it's been 20 years ago. Yeah. Long that's time ago. It's since I was a kid. Long yeah, time I ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't read him as a kid. No. I, I went through and read them oh probably i think i read them all after the first movie came out yeah that makes sense yeah and i thought man this is i've been missing all this shit you know I, all yeah. my buddies all read all that stuff when i was we were in school but i just didn't have the patience for it because i was busy reading robert e howard stuff <laughs> not Tolkien. so um you know i was a dumbass but no, I was reading I Robert, picked it back up. I was reading Robert Howard and I was reading all of the uh all of the Matt Helm series. The Matt Helm spy series back then is yeah. what I was reading. No, I never yeah. read any of that. I probably need to go back and look at the Matt Helm stuff. That was didn't uh Dean Martin Yes, that's do, something that, do that in a film like talk about. Time. We don't like to talk about those movies. We don't like to think that they exist. Really, uh, but the uh, no, they did a, a comedy take on it. But the Matt Helm novels, he was uh, they came out before the James Bond novels, and he uh, it's a very interesting, brutal character. Uh, they're on tape if you want to listen to them on tape now, right? They're all over the place. Well, that might be something I have to consider, but yeah, anyway. next line, next long drive you have, throw one of them in, yeah. Well, probably good idea. I need to get me in nice long drive one of these days so uh what's your next honorable mention so we've mentioned this one before but this is one that if it if i'm watching tv and it comes on even on even if it's been chopped up on network uh is unforgiven i find myself clint eastwood's unforgiven i'll get drawn into that movie one of his best films there's no i mean by top three 
one of his he, top three films. There's no doubt about it. It's genius. And William Money is the ex is the former gunfighter who he can't even manage to climb up on a horse. He's so far, you know, he's so far down. And uh, to watch his progression, uh, to to see him remember who he is, right? Because this other guy, he's just pretending to be this other guy. Right. He's pretending to be a family guy. He's pretending to be a farmer. He's pretending to be a a, a parent. He's just pretending. That's not who he is. Right. And to see him finally realize who he is it's very interesting it, it uh, uh he did a superb job with it every every scene was well thought out and uh, gene hackman's of course support superb and morgan freeman's superb they're all they're all they're all superb in their roles but uh it uh i mean everybody should have watched it if you haven't watched it watch it but rewatch it now see see that performance again i saw Man. that in the theaters in in new york when i was i was living in new york and there was a theater there uh, that you could get booze at and food and i went and watched that movie and and i and i went back the next night and watched it again in the same theater you know just yeah it's a it's just it's an important film it's a it rises above just a western oh yeah it is not just a western this is a whole nother level of things going on yeah. You know, you got the little snotty-nosed kid that wants to ride along with him and, you yeah. know, demonstrates that he's just a little snotty-nosed kid. And you got Morgan Freeman, you know, who's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, bad, bad luck. Very bad luck. And, uh, oh, God, his Indian wife. I don't recall her name of the actress. I don't um, either, but... but that was the, brilliant. The beat down, the beat down that little Bill Gene Hackman as little Bill played on that English gunfighter. Oh, yeah, Richard that, Harris. That that on, just lasted forever, right? Yeah. That oh, was, it just killed oh, him. Good. Yeah. Just you should have killed him. Should have killed. Him. I didn't know Hackman was that big a dude. You know, he was a big dude in real life. I didn't know that he was a big guy. Oh, he was six one or two, didn't he? Yeah, I didn't know and, he was that. Uh, was it, you know over two hundred pounds? And this is uh, un- Unforgiven is what's what's the date on Unforgiven? That's ninety two is what I ninety two. So it's thirty yeah. years ago. Uh, Gene Hackman, I run into something on him the other day. Uh, he's been retired for several years, and he's like ninety two now. He's in his he's in his nineties, and he's he's not in real good shape. He's you know. Yeah. Kind of lost weight like the old men do and stuff, but man, that guy—he's—he's uh, he's done some stuff that, that you know, Unforgiven is one of his better roles. There's no doubt about it. It's he—I watched him. Um, I I watched him in uh, a, a western Gene Hackman in a western called uh, Bite the Bullet, I think, and yeah, the, I it saw was that a long time ago dumbest sounding name of a movie you'd ever heard of right. but really well done western really interesting right. and then i tried to watch him in a movie about a surveillance guy and i couldn't i couldn't manage it i couldn't get through the first 15 minutes of it right. but uh, but yeah unforgiven is always on my list if it if it pops up i watch it uh, i uh it's it's just one of my favorite movies to watch and to pick right. apart yeah it's uh that thing is uh if you haven't seen Unforgiven, 
That was best picture of '92. Was it? Was it? Yes, the Academy Award best best film '92, and it, it for very very good reason. Yeah, oh you know gosh. that was a long time ago before the Academy Awards became utterly meaningless. But this is <laughs> this is uh, this was, still has this is a best yeah. film. So watch yeah. that absolutely. Uh, and I've got on here the the and we've talked about these uh, before in our and I believe in our sword movie uh, episode. We talked about the three musketeers and the four musketeers. Yes. The Salkin versions that were filmed in 1974. Now, that's a long time ago. All right. But these are the best musketeers movies that have ever been filmed. They're funny. The sword work is by Bob Anderson. And it's all wonderful and believable and things shot very correctly by, the, by Alexander Salkin. And uh, it's got uh, Michael York and Oliver Reed, the brilliant Oliver Reed, Raquel Welch at the height of her power, John Houston. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Charlton Heston. Uh, Christopher Lee's in it. Uh, there's just you know the the stellar cast. It's paced uh, so even though it's it's as old as it is, it's it's more modernly paced. It, it's it doesn't. A, it's a modern edit. It's absolutely a modern edit. I, the guy was brilliant, and the thing just spanks right along, and it's, it's, uh, it's good, 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 good. It's, it's, uh, it's good at so many levels, and I highly recommend both of those films. The funny thing about that was, is the the actors, the cast was hired to do a movie, and the thing got long. And so Salkin said, well, let's make two movies out of it. Yeah. But they only got paid for by one the way, movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by the way, we're going to make two out of it. By this, the yeah. way, we're going to make two movies, but we're just going to pay you for your one performance. And, and so that not, pissed uh, them all off real bad. But, I mean, I don't know what they can do about it. But nowadays they could do something about it. But at the time they just had to say, well, I think I'll just be mad. And that's what they did. So uh, Now, I hadn't seen that yeah. movie since I was a kid, right? I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And then when I knew we were going to talk about them for sword movies, um, I, I turned them on. And it, when I flicked them on, it was more like I was doing homework. You know what I mean? Right. I wanted to catch no, them. And then, and then I got, I really got wrapped up in it. And it's the, 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 the humor is pretty much over the top. Like the, really the one, like, they, they got a group of guys that are carrying this carriage and they keep commenting on this, this lady's weight as she's getting bigger and bigger, and she's not getting bigger, obviously. You know, no, she's not getting any bigger at all. And, and it's just funny. And it's fading that way. I mean, it's not. Yeah, she, yeah she's like, she's like she weighed big. anything, but it, but there's it's, little uh, subtle under the table kind of things, like when when the king, uh, played by the French guy, what was his name? Uh, I can't I can't remember Pierre Casal. He he's <laughs> these little throwaway things, you know. He's eating on something. You know, yeah. And there's a dog sitting beside of him, yeah. and he reaches down. He shows the the bone to the dog. The dog goes and looks away, and he goes up <laughs> and just throws the thing. Like, just a little throwaway <laughs> thing like that, you know, that couldn't have been scripted. No, you know, couldn't possibly have been scripted. That was brilliant. It, it just happened. Things like that over and over again, all the way through the film. It just it's. So three Musketeers and four Musketeers, the 1974 versions are the ones of these you need to see. 
I don't, I don't want to beat this movie to death, but do you remember when the, the guy was flirting with Raquel Welch and she said her husband was old and troubled by gas? <laughs> <laughs> yes, which he was. That was Spike Milligan that played her yeah. husband. Brilliant old British comedian, Spike Milligan. Oh, shit, he was funny. That was, that was, that was, there's so many fabulous performances in that film. You, God almighty. Yeah, it's great. Oh, shit. All right. Two uh, Westerns here, I think, need mentioning. Yep. Actually, we're going to talk about three Westerns. Let's go to yours first. Let's go to yours first. What's Silverado. Silverado. That's on my list, too. So let's just talk about our Westerns. I got. Uh, Silverado, 1985, Silverado, fabulous Western movie. Got a lot of humor in it. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's just so many good things about that movie. The, the, uh, uh, oh, shit. Oh, Lawrence Kasdan, that's who I'm trying to think of. Uh, it's a Lawrence Kasdan film. It was filmed on location in New Mexico in the winter. It was cold, snow on the ground the whole time. Cass talked about how physically difficult the shoot was. Um, but that that is a fabulous Western movie. And, well, that's uh, because they, they understood the tropes of the Western, right? So they understood right. what the audience wants to see in right. a Western. And they delivered them in a modern manner with good, with good pacing and good clean dialogue and film edits. So we're not pretending that this world's not any more ridiculous than, than older Westerns, but... They're delivering it and and uh, and they're selling it and it was just very entertaining. I can watch very that movie. I click on that movie. I can watch that sucker anytime. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've watched it. You know, it's one of those things I've watched fifteen times, yeah. maybe more, since it's been a long, since it's been around so damn long. I probably watched it twenty times. There's a couple of lines in that movie that are, I remember Danny, uh, what's the black guy's name? Glover, Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Yeah. It's fabulous. Like Danny Glover is standing there with his Henry rifle pointed at a couple of guys. And he says, now I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead. <laughs> Just now that's, that's perfect line. That's a perfect line. And I don't want to kill you. You don't want to be dead. <laughs> so let's do something else. It's <laughs> They introduce these characters. It's like the first time you see Jeff Goldblum, you say, well, well, shit, he's a bad guy. We can see that. You can see he's a bad guy. Bad Look guy. at the way he's dressed. Look at the way he's dressed. He's a bad guy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a piece of shit. He's not just a bad guy. God <laughs> almighty. Criminal Jew. You know, that's what, that's what he was. You know, just fabulous piece of casting. God. So Silverado, 1985. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to tell you this is Kevin Costner's best role. You know, I really enjoyed him in in this movie. I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff I just didn't care for. But, uh, I mean, you know, Wyatt Earp, we're about to talk about Wyatt Earp. I thought he was a little dull in Wyatt Earp. But in this, he's a different character. And he's he's funny and young and and handsome and swashbuckling and and he's he's great in silverado so he's enjoying himself right he's enjoying himself in silver yeah now wyatt yeah. earp 
is the yeah. is the next one of these that we're going to talk about the western and uh wider was he played wide Earp, and it took me a long time to figure this out. I think that he was playing Wyatt Earp the way Wyatt Earp would have played Wyatt Earp. That's because, what I took away. Because yeah. Wyatt Earp was a dour kind of a kind yeah. of a melancholy kind of a guy, you know, because of the shit that happened to him when you know when he was twenty years old. But he was, you know, he. Uh, it, it's it's that it came across to me the first dozen times I watched that movie that it's just this is the failing of Costner in the role and the more I watched it the more I began to think you know I need to look into this a little bit more and I've looked into Wyatt Earp and I'm telling you that that might have been Costner's interpretation of the way Wyatt Earp was. I think you're right. You know, I mean, he's you know, you, you, you know he's capable of more animated. Uh, behavior because you saw it in right. Silverado, right? So you're not capable of it. Uh, I think you're right. I um, I liked him in uh, Silverado more because yeah. of his uh, obviously enjoying the role. Right. He was enjoying all the moments of it. Right. Or he can't. He sold you on the fact that he was enjoying it. I don't know as an actor if he was enjoying it or not, but he sold you on the fact that he was enjoying himself. Right. And I've seen and him did. in a bunch of absolutely, yeah. And he's he's uh, he's such a superb actor, and, and the, he's, he's in a TV series now that I try to watch. And Yellowstone, yeah, Yellowstone, and he just delivers. He just delivers, right? He delivers right. the he delivers on what you want that character to be, you know. In the in Yellowstone, the rifle he carries belonged to his grandfather. I mean, or his father. How? I mean, in real life, right? That's the kind of guy oh, you deal. Kevin's with. grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the kind of guy that you want that I don't know anything about him personally. I don't know anything about his politics and I'm very happy not to know any of that stuff, but he sells you on those roles. Right. He really does. Yeah. The, 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 the few episodes of Yellowstone I've seen, he's very good in that. He, he really, really is. And, yeah. you know, that, that might've been when it first dawned on me that this guy, in Wyatt Earp had to have been doing that on purpose. He absolutely was. Because he's not a bad actor. He's a great actor. No, no. He he, yeah. he he was doing that purposely. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I, Wyatt Earp's one of my favorite films. It's a big giant cast and and it's a long film and they're you know very recognizable classic Western tropes in the thing and and the the reenacting of the the OK Corral shootout was was really good. It almost runs into documentary territory. It Do you does. know what I mean? Yeah, so oh, it does. It, that that's you know that's a real good point because one of the most interesting things that I noticed about the comparison between Wyatt Earp and Tombstone and. Tombstone is entertainment. Wyatt Earp is an epic film. All right. But the OK Corral scene, there had to have been 30 witnesses to all of that because all of the details of that are the same. Yeah. You know, well, there. Uh, Virgil handed Doc Holliday the shotgun. He put it under his coat mm -hmm. in both, both movies. And then you yeah. look at the 
the documentation for this thing. Everybody was standing around watching all this. And they did a pretty good job, Wyatt Earp, of this is just the way this was, you know. Not to be concerned about getting hit with a stray forty five caliber round or anything. Yeah. <laughs> around watching. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which could have happened real, real easily, you know. Pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. Quick. But uh so yeah, Wyatt Earp is a great film and I've I've watched that a bunch of times. And then I just got through with this one too. And uh, for a Western, it is just such a precious thing that that we have on film, the Sackets. Hmm. Now, the Sackets was a two-part. The the reason I don't have it in the top five, it was a two-part thing that appeared on television on Turner Broadcasting. And it it was filmed by a director by the name of Robert Totten that was a good popular television director and and but I mean these guys you know Sam Elliott, Tom Selleck, Jeff Osterhag were in this thing as the Sackett brothers. This thing was was two of Louis Lemoore's novels, one called The Daybreakers and the other one called The Sacketts. No, the other one called Sackett. Sackett, Sackett and The Daybreakers were the two source novels for this script and it was shot in new mexico and uh oh and glenn ford was in it and uh ben johnson the the fabulous ben johnson was in it he was he was a cap round tree and this is uh ruth roman was in it famous actress from the 50s and 60s mercedes mccambridge was in it Slim Pickens, Jack Elam, all of these guys that were the classic Western actors from from Western movies back in the '60s and '50s are in this thing as the uh, uh, as the brothers, you know, the bad guy brothers. And uh, oh, this thing was this thing was just fabulous. You got Louis Lamour, one of the greatest storytellers of all time, right? Louis yes. Lamour is one of the greatest storytellers of all time. He lived a very interesting life, traveled all around, just a superb, interesting guy. And he was on the set. Everybody adored him, right? Uh, they stuck as close to the source material as they could. In fact, it seems like they stretched out a couple of the storylines a little bit more than the books had. But, you know, you grow up reading Louis L'Amour books, and then you see that on TV as a young kid, and it, it's just perfect. It's a, it, it is. You, you you revisit it out of nostalgic sake because it takes you back to when you was there there watching it as a kid, and then you revisit it as a, just a pure movie, and the the quality of it is superb. I mean, Sam Elliott's got to be a hundred and fifty years old by now, right? But he yeah, he's like eighty nine, but he's he delivered in that movie then, and he delivers in the stuff he does now. Uh, just really well done. It's it's an entertaining watch. Have you been able to find it in real high def or anything? Or no, no, I've looked for it a couple of times. The thing is only available in that one to one thirty three format, TV screen format. They never put it into a widescreen version. They have never moved it up to Blu-ray. They haven't put it on high def. There's no other print available other than the TV screen version of the thing. And I looked, I look all the time just to see if there's an updated version and there's not. And, you know, maybe us discussing it here today will 
drive some sales and prompt these guys to go back to the original prints and see what they can do with them. But I, this is one of the best Westerns in history, as far as I'm concerned. I, you know, we, we obviously can't talk about Lonesome Dove because Lonesome Dove is not a movie. It's a big, long, eight-hour miniseries. It's not a movie. That's the best Western that's ever been filmed. Well, yeah, the- without any, without any even anything even comparable, but this thing, the sackets, I'm going to go ahead and throw it into our movie discussion, even though it was a two part miniseries on on Turner. I think the whole running time of the thing might be two hours and forty five minutes, so it's not a stretch to call this a movie. Hey, but, Turner. Uh, Turner did some good westerns, man. They they produced oh. some good TV westerns, you know. Oh yes. So, uh, so yeah, it belongs on there. If somebody hasn't seen the Sackets and they like westerns, they need to watch it. I mean, yeah, it, the Sackets is the western you need to watch. Yeah. It's just so much. It's so much fun, and it's just so western. You know, just everything about it is is good. You know, the archetypal western heroes are right there on the screen and it just you just can't you know can't say enough good stuff about the sackets uh so what's next on your honorable mention well this one uh so reba mcintyre shooting an elephant gun at monster worms that travel through the earth like jaws except the ocean is earth it's called tremors it's a 1990 movie it's got Reba McIntyre in it. It's got uh, Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, if you remember Fred Ward. And it's it's a monster movie where they understand they're in a monster movie and they behave accordingly. If you haven't Reba seen... Reba McIntyre is shooting an elephant gun. Reba McIntyre... I'd like to see that. Badass. Michael uh, Michael Gross is the, her husband in it. And uh, this uh, this small community... Uh, is isolated by uh, geography with mountain ranges and stuff. And uh, giant earthworms travel through the ground. They call them graboids. And they are killing people. And it's all practical effects. If It's, it's uh, all practical effects. Uh, there's a survivalist there. Just about the time you think somebody's going to live, they get killed. Just about the time you think somebody's going to die, they live. If you haven't seen Tremors, and you enter into it, as you've said before, willing to be entertained, you're going to enjoy it. You can't well, turn up. I have to put that on my list. That's it, it, Every gun in there is superb. They've got a, a, a William & Moore 8-gauge shotgun loading with solid tips. Oh, God. Uh, Reba giving advice on what kind of gun her husband should take with him. Uh, it's just it's glorious ridiculousness that you just have to see to appreciate it's tremors. it's a you know that is one of those things that i you know used to see in the video rental store all the time yes and i thought you know you look at the at the at the cover art and i thought this is stupid i just I, the dumbest I shit i've ever seen in my life yeah uh, what well, is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in your life but it's very entertaining you yeah. can't get away all right well i'll i will get that tremor yeah. it uh Fred Ward does a superb job. You know, Kevin Bacon's always good. Yeah, uh, Kevin Bacon Fred is good. And uh, Reba McIntyre, they, I don't know how they decided to hire her to do this role, but she went and, uh, 
and uh, auditioned for it and they gave it to her and she's always spoke highly of the filming and 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 how enjoyable it was to be there yeah i don't it's ever just, think of her as an actress right? no you know. she, sells, she sells it they're they're tossing guns to her and she's snatching them out of the air and and working to bolt on bolt actions and uh it's really, really interesting. I mean, it's got its flaws on it, well, sure, but, but what does they, you know? they, uh, they can tell where you're going by, uh, by the tremors in the ground from your walking. So there's a couple like floors, lava scenes where they got to stay off the floor and jump from shelf to shelf. And it's all practical effects. And it's really entertaining. It really well, is. I'm going to, I'm going to order that when I get back to the office. And then tremors. you're going to you're going to own it forever. I'm going to own it. <laughs> I hope you're right about it, man. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Two more left here that I've got in my honorable mention. What do you, how many you got left in honorable mention? In honorable mention, I have two more as well, I think. Let me go right. here. To... Yep. Well, I got two more in honorable mention. Yep. All right. Let me go first then. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that. The best comedy, we talked about this thing in our comedy show. Uh, best comedy I think that's ever been filmed is The Big Lebowski. I think yep. if you don't think that the best, that, that, that The Big Lebowski is the funniest movie that's ever been made, then you are, are of below average intelligence. You're missing something. You're missing something. something. You're missing something very important. Yeah. Very important. The Big Lebowski is John Goodman's finest role. Uh, it is, it is, uh, Jeff Bridges finest role, you know, uh, yep. there's just so many, so many funny things about the big Lebowski it just, and I, you know, I can't really, if you haven't seen it and, uh, or if you didn't think it's funny, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the hell to tell you. Uh, I, I came late to that party, uh, the big Lebowski. I, uh, I tried to watch it a couple times, but I don't think I was in the right headspace the first couple times. And then, uh, and then I settled in to watch it before a comedy show, and I really enjoyed it. I've watched it a couple times since then. I mean, some of the lines are glorious. I mean, the first scene, he's in Ralph's. Yes, right? and he yeah. takes because he's going to make a he's got to make a beverage, right? What he calls a beverage, he's going to make a white Russian. So he he takes a a quart of half and half up to the checkout and he writes a check for 74 cents to the girl to pay for a quart of half and half. And And she she looks looks at at him like we would look at him. Yeah. yeah. You you look at him like she's looking at a, a new bird or something. I, you know, she just looks at him with this dull look on her face. <laughs> You're writing me a check for seventy four for a quart of a half. Oh my God! I, how do you not think that's funny? I mean, that's just—I I can see people that are just—you know—I I don't know. That's so dry, and and I—you I, know—that had me from the from the start of the whole damn yeah. thing. It, it moves along pretty quick. It's yeah. pretty fun. Got it's got funny lines in it. You got to be in the right mood for it because the, the the uh, the humor can be a little uh, subtle. It's dry. It's real dry. Dry humor. It's a dry humor movie. It really, really is. But it's a uh, it's it's <laughs> yeah. worth. It. Yeah. So the Big Lebowski. That's my 
You know, we talked about that in our comedy movies, and I just it, that still stands as one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, so, what's yours? You go next, then I've got one more to talk about here. All right, I've got, I've got. Uh, unfortunately, I've got three more to talk about before we get to the main ones. But I can right. cut one. Of them. Uh, the next one is. So if I describe it to you, you're not going to want to see it. All right, you got a bunch of old middle-aged dudes trying to sell real estate over the phone right that's, that's the that's the setup for this movie this is glenn gary glenn ross isn't it? glenn gary glenn ross yeah who would go who would want to go see that right it's in 1992 right. nobody would want to go see that and i don't blame them for not going to go see it but it is a it's a spectacular movie it's all dialogue all acting, all set pieces. It was originally a play, and it seems like a play. Right. If you haven't seen it before, you're going to watch this movie, and you're going to hear lines that you've heard your whole life that you never knew where the hell they came from, right? You're going to hear references that you never knew where they came from. It's got Alec Baldwin in it, Al Pacino, uh, Jack Lemmon, all of these superb actors playing these roles, and uh, you, you can't turn it off. If you click on that movie and Alec Baldwin's up there giving his uh, advice on how to be a better salesman, his pep talk, right, uh, you're not going to be able to turn away from it. All of these people are, they're, they're not likable. They're despicable. They're, they're trying to sell no matter what it takes. And the techniques that they use to sell are still what people try to use today that aren't very good at sales. They're the same techniques. It's the same. If you picture in your mind like a timeshare guy, that's who these yeah. guys are, right? <laughs> so, so closers. Have, they're closers. Yeah, closers. They're closers. They've made the mistake of filling out a little card saying, I am interested in a piece of property. And they've put it in one of those boxes. And then they take these boxes, they call them leads. And then they take them to these boiler shops and they try to sell these leads. And it's, it, I can't adequately would describe how good the acting is and, yeah. and how despicable the characters are. Yeah. Um, I watched it on your recommendation, uh, oh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've still got the thing at home. I haven't watched it, but once. Mm. Uh, and the reason I haven't watched it but once is because I had a sales job one time, a long time ago. <laughs> is it too painful? Is it it's just to too painful. <laughs> it's too painful to watch. You, but it's absolutely what they wanted us to do. That's yes. absolutely every syllable of that movie was, was exactly what they told us they wanted us to do. I and didn't I know about it. I didn't know about this movie until I went to, I went to get a cup of coffee and then somebody across the hall, the whole, on the other side of the room said, put that coffee down. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? I said, coffee is for closers, right? An Alec Baldwin speech. So then we brought it up, <laughs> we, we brought it up on YouTube and we put it on all the TVs around the room. Put that coffee down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, Al Pacino at his most sleazy, right? He's willing to yeah. do anything sale, include up to and include sleeping with the dude that he ended up selling to, if I'm not mistaken. They didn't show that, but that was heavily implied. Um, and uh, it's just really well done. They, they've made they've made fun of that movie. One of the characters was on The Simpsons, uh, not the actor, <laughs> but the character on The Simpsons. I mean, it's just a it's a it's a historical piece of work. Kevin Spacey is 
superb as the sneaky dude that runs the office. Um, if you haven't seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and there's probably a good chance you haven't seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, fire it up and watch it. Yeah. Right. And then, what else you got left? I got one more thing that's one step below my top five, and I this is this is one of these things that I you know I'm, I'm torn about. I've I've got two that I'm kicking around below the top five, but if you want to, I can drop one of them easy enough. Nah, go ahead. Uh, on my list that didn't make the top five is a horror movie from uh, 2012 called A Cabin in the Woods a comedy horror flick that attempt to explain why people behave as stupid as they do in horror movies. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a, the, it's a satire, at a very high level. It's it really honest. It's almost a parody of a horror movie. It, it absolutely. And it's it really it delivers. It really delivers. Uh, when you, I didn't, uh, I didn't Wikipedia it or anything before I went to see it. I didn't know, what to expect out of it, right? So all of the punchlines came as a surprise, which I think is important. If you if you haven't seen this movie, let the punchlines be a surprise. Uh, the the, and the it, visual punchlines. The, the guys in the short sleeve white shirts with the tie on and a pocket protector. I yeah. mean, this, this, where did that come from? God, that's... The evil you know. bureaucracy, right? Yeah. just comes across. The, there's a scene that involves elevators, and every time you hear this ding 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 go off all of this horrible stuff just starts happening it's yeah. just spectacular it's wonderful to watch the it's monster gotta... effects were a, yeah. a top-notch monster <laughs> effects and, and, and we're just throwaway things throwaway characters yeah uh, the, um it had a good redemption arc the third act kind of drags a bit but that's because the first two were so flawless but uh the uh it's absolutely a wonderful movie it's got yeah, uh, one of the i don't remember which one it was but it's got some really good uh, uh classic scenes in it they they twist your expectations they stay true all the characters stay true to themselves they, they ask themselves the same thing that you would ask yourself in a movie like why did they do that what why did they do that well this movie explains why they're behaving that way uh really well done i haven't and, uh, and sigourney weaver shows up at the end of the damn thing in a, in a, what a brilliant! How do they talk her into doing that? I wonder. That that was a brilliant piece of casting. God Almighty! I don't know how this thing's done uh, in the follow-up market, but I got to think that it's it's a, a cult classic. I mean, it's just it's just so well done. It's just so entertaining. Oh yeah. You know? No, I I know it. I know it's a cult classic. I've heard yeah. it referred to that way many many times. Cabin in the Woods. You haven't seen that. Uh, that's you know, it goes without saying. All of these things you need to see. John and I don't like shitty movies, and we're no. not talking about. There's not one shitty movie we're talking about today, and you, that means you need to see these if you haven't seen them yet. And my last one, and this is I go back and forth about this being in the top five all the time, and the only reason it's not in the top five is because the top five is not the top six. And it is Atomic Blonde. And I talked about this earlier. I have watched Atomic Blonde 15 times. It is a complicated plot. You cannot see it once and understand everything about what is going on. It's written at a very, very high level for a spy movie. It is uh, 
probably uh, – oh, John Goodman is in this as well. And uh, this is this is Charlize Theron's best film that I've ever seen. It, it's, I, this thing came out in 2017. It's a it's a recent film, and it 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 talks about that period of time in the late '80s when the Berlin Wall fell. It was the the week before the Berlin Wall fell. It's when this series of events takes place, and it was filmed with period cars, and it was I, I don't even know where they filmed it, but uh, it. You know, it's got a Soviet look to it. It's got little cheap, junky-ass Russian cars all over the place. The music is from the 80s. It's just, the whole thing, it's perfect. It's a perfect film. And one of the most amazing things about this is there is a fight scene about two-thirds of the way through this film that takes place in a stairwell. And it looks like, it's designed to look like one take. Yes. Yep. And they do a marvelous job with that. My God. They just beat the piss out of Charlize Theron. And, and you know, and she's, you know, whatever you want to think about men beating up women, women beating up men, this, this goddamn thing is, this is an astonishing piece of filmmaking. I, I, I came on late with that because I, you know, I see these things pop up and they don't necessarily interest me. And then you, you mentioned it probably two or three times before I got around to renting it or not renting it, but uh, picking it up. And it's really well done. That tracking shot that you talk about, um, it, it reminded me a little bit of the old 70s spy movies where you had to sort of noodle through what was going on. And then that tracking shot that you're speaking of on the stairwell, there's been articles written about how, uh, uh, the filmmaking involved in making that happen. It looks like a single shot. It, it really is designed like to look like a single take. And if you pay very, very, very careful attention to it, you can kind of almost see the edit, but not yeah. really. Not really. Not you, really. You, might, you can't you see might, the edits. You might think you see the edit, but it might not be where you think it is. So it's right. uh, that tracking shot. There's been articles written on it. Uh, really well done movie. I've watched it a couple times since then. Uh, you like the characters, the characters stay true to themselves. It's, it's, it's a, it's worthwhile watch. Uh, I, I haven't watched it enough to put it in my list, but, uh, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I've watched it oh, over and over and over again. It's a, a go-to film. If I'm yeah. at a loss for something to watch tonight, ah, hell watch Atomic Blonde. It's, it's really good. It's really good. James McAvoy is the, the counterpoint character. Uh, to uh, Charlize Theron's, uh, she's. Well, I don't want to ruin it for you. It's the mm -hmm. she. She has a complicated role in the film. Right. <laughs> that, that's the the best way to the best right. way to say that. You won't figure out what the hell's going on with her the first time you watch it. It's no. uh It's it's complex. It's yeah. very complex. And uh, you, you, I, I can't say enough good stuff about how entertaining that film is. Eddie Marsan is in it. He does a great job as a Stasi officer. Uh, oh God, the the guys that play the 
the the guy plays the Russian. Thug. I went into it. He's, yeah, I went into it not thinking I was like not really paying as close attention as I should, and I found myself having to to back up a bit because mm -hmm. I started seeing some plot developments I missed. You know, so oh, yeah. you got there's a bunch the of that went on. Is the script's complex, so you got to pay attention to it. And then, the first time I saw that, I you know I got to the end of the thing and I. You know, I, I, I didn't notice a bunch of stuff, right. but I, it took me to the fourth viewing to see when her accent changed. Did you notice yeah. her accent changing? I did. I didn't There's a reason it. for that. I mean, it's just right. all of that stuff is it's very carefully written, carefully directed film. And the uh, guy uh, that directed this film is one of the guys that did the wick movies. Well, that makes sense. Right. You know, and, so, uh, a, a film. If you're watching a film and they fool you, or they go in a direction that you weren't expected, it, it's not. As long as they gave you enough clues to be able to, to in retrospect, see it coming, you right. don't feel they've lied to you, right? They right. haven't lied. So, no, so, and uh, this one, this yeah. one, you have to watch it two or three times to figure out where they handed you that information. Yes, but they did. It was but there. But they did. It's there. It there. You just yep. got to you got to pay careful attention to this. Yeah. You know, and uh, they say they're making a sequel to the thing. I, I don't see how they can make one as good, but this that's a great movie. Oh my god. Yeah. For the uh, having been made in just 6 years ago, 5 years ago, 5 and a half years ago. This, yeah. this is uh this is a a, a great great film. You know, not like it's being done anymore. No, I'll give it. I'll give a new one a shot. If they come up with a second one, I'll give it a shot. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it ahead of time. I just take a chance on it because the, because the prequel was so damn good. All right, we through with your top or, or your honorable mentions. You got one more. I've, I've got one more, and uh, I, I don't believe you've seen this, but I think you're going to want to see it. So, in the '50s in L.A., there was a real life. A group of detectives and they called them the hat squad and they rode around in a car they answered only to the chief of police and they went around fixing problems right uh mel holland falls is a movie that is a film noir movie made uh in 1996 based on the hat squad so What's the intro thing about this movie it's got it's mulholland falls mulholland falls and Mulholland Falls, you found out very quickly, is a place that they throw you off a cliff if you've done something they don't appreciate. So, <laughs> and you find out that quickly. That's not a that's not a spoiler. Uh, it's got Nick Nolte, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, um, the uh, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Connelly, Jennifer Connelly is in it, mm -hmm. and she's spectacular. Uh, these guys, they know that they are in a film noir movie. They know they're in a movie, but they don't sell it over the top so small things like you got four big dudes riding around in a two-door uh, uh, ragtop coupe with the top down wearing their hats and their hats aren't blown off their heads they know they're in a movie right you can only get away with that in the movie uh, Nick Nolte's uh, uh, one of the detectives Jennifer Connelly is somebody's had a, a, a past relationship with something horrible happens to her of course and then he goes around trying to figure out what happens there's a bunch of really good scenes in it. Uh, one of the things that happens is 
early in the movie, you see one of these, and you don't see these in movies very often. Oh, is that so, a sap? This is a sap. This is yep. an eleven inch, eleven ounce sap, and Nick Nolte carries one. He moves it as they did back then, from pocket to pocket, depending on the circumstances. And he absolutely wears out a trio of FBI agents in their own parking lot like you would not believe. It is a, <laughs> the most serious beatdown of the sap you've ever seen uh, in a movie. The gun plays well, good. Uh, one of the characters carries a big Colt 1917 that shoots uh, 45 ACP out of a revolver. And it's always interesting to see yeah. those up, you know. Yeah. The the wardrobe is is over the top but accurate and entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They all wear hats all the time. They all wear their suits all the time. Uh, Jennifer Connelly is spectacular looking in. Uh, Melanie Griffiths in it as the much put upon wife. Uh, it's it's really well done. Really interesting story and it's very entertaining. Uh, but you get, and the most important thing is is you get to see Nick Nolte just wail the hell out of people that deserve to have the hell wailed out of them. <laughs> there is a difference between a blackjack and a sap all right yes so yes you 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 guys look that up this is a blackjack this is a small blackjack right small blackjack piece of wood solid wood this is probably 70 maybe 80 years old and then this is a more modern sap it's a class of impact weapons sandbags the piece of lead sewed into that leather and it's yeah. it got a little whip to it. And, and the thought was is that it's more gentle than just hitting somebody with a regular stick because the impact area is spread out. I don't know that's the case. I haven't been hit with one, and I haven't hit somebody with one. So I don't know that that's absolutely the case, but that's the idea. It's an ambush. Well, well. I think you could break somebody's face bones with either one of those things pretty Thank easily. You absolutely could. Hey, no doubt about that. You the know. target area for the old days impact weapons, the target areas were like the collarbones. <laughs> just the heart, you just it makes you just wince thinking about it, yeah, right? God. Yeah. Breaking your collarbone with this. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but uh, Mulholland Falls is really good. The, the guns are good, uh, the dialogue's clunky, but you're going to enjoy it. Well, problem. I've got Mulholland Falls and Tremors on my list now. So you might, you then you might get not. back to the office and order both of those this afternoon. Oh you God! Might not talk to me once after Tremors. You might not. You might want to give me a couple of days on the movie. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm buying the damn thing. I, look, I trust you, man. <laughs> I trust you. So, uh, top five now. Top five movies or. For me, anyway, these are movies I have enjoyed all my life, or at least since they came out. The most recent one of these that I've got is uh, in 2010. But I've been watching all of these movies since they came out, and I've watched them all multiple, multiple times, and they're all flawless movies. They're flawless movies. So I'm going to give you my fifth one, and then John's going to give you his fifth one. And you're going to see that there are some significant differences in our tastes in movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that you'll be interested in that as well. So uh, you want to go first, John? Sure. What's number five for you? So number five for me is Manhunter. Uh, 1986, 
the uh, it's the start of the Hannibal Lecter series. I don't know if you've ever watched any of those Hannibal Lecter movies, but it's the start of that series, and it's got a different Lecter than uh, than Anthony Hopkins. It's a different guy that's written. Uh, the uh, it's got uh, Dennis Farina as an as an FBI agent. Dennis Farina is an old time uh, uh, true life cop that got into uh, to acting. Uh, because he was spotted as a technical advisor and Michael Mann used him as an actor. Dennis Farina knows what he's talking about. He doesn't have a giant role in this, but his his role adds some authenticity to it. Uh, the main character is uh, is an FBI profiler who was horribly damaged by Lecter, who is now in prison, but he's he's brought back into action to uh, uh, to try to find this new guy they call the, the Tooth Fairy. Now, he is a truly creepy dude. Uh, the actor's name is Tim Newton, and he is a really creepy guy. Uh, he is a great big tall dude. Uh, he's the bad guy, and he, everything about him comes across as creepy. Now, he reprised this role, or a role similar to that, not this role, in a, in a TV show called Blacklist that often pays homage to these old TV shows and movies. He kind of did the same sort of role as a character called the Stewmaker. Uh, it's really well done. It's got everything you want. It's got Inagata DeVita by Iron Butterfly and a very important part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Bright lights, all this horrible stuff is happening in extremely bright lights. Uh, Michael Mann is the director, of course, so he's incorporating music in everything he does. The main character uh, carries a, 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 a Charter Arms 44 special with Glazer safety slugs, which would have been a very 80s thing to carry right very 80s thing to carry and uh, and he really it really comes across he sells the whole movie have you have you seen that thing yet i believe i have seen it but it's been probably 20 years ago yeah in fact i think so, i've got a copy of it either at the gym or the house manhunter so it manhunter when you watch the every scene it's like man you know michael man is so good at this stuff every scene has a purpose if there's a certain color light if somebody's wearing a certain color jacket uh it's a combination of procedural where they're doing uh where they're doing forensics investigations and then the the action part of it uh the last the last scene uh with uh within a god of vida and when the, all the protagonists come together uh it's really really well done you'll you'll enjoy it if you haven't seen it uh this is a treat this is really a treat. Well, I need to go back and uh, and watch that. So this is, you know, this this is the when the the TV show Crime Story came out. This is the Miami Vice days. This is all of that stuff when Michael Mann was really, really getting his crap together, right? Really producing. This preheat days, I guess, right? So he's really starting to produce the the colors and the and the splash. It's really it's really interesting. You'll like it. Manhunter, that's number five on John's list. My number five, and we've talked about all of these things I've talked about on this podcast before, but not in the context of, you know, my all-time favorite shit here is, uh, my number five is is the is the Western movie that made it into the, into the top five, and it's called Conniger. Now, Conniger is a, uh, is a Louis L'Amour novel, and Conniger uh, is about uh, 
a man and his wife and two kids that settle in uh, what is northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, my kind of secondary stomping grounds. And uh, the guy, the, the man is goes off to they have a, a cabin already built up there and, and he leaves the wife and the kids and he goes off to buy cattle and gets, he gets killed on the way, you know, out of, out of the, out of the country there. And, you know, he's never found. And, uh, and it's about the things that happened to the wife and the kids after, uh, after this tragedy befalls the family and, and, Sam Elliott is uh, a cowboy, and uh, Sam Elliott and uh, and Evie uh, develop a relationship over the course of the movie, and it's uh, got a bunch of very good, very good acting in it. Uh, uh, is this the one with the with the notes? She puts the notes in the tumbleweed. Yes. She 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 yeah. is lonesome. And yep. she's uh, she's out there by herself, and so what she does is there's tumbleweeds flying all over the place, and she'll write a little note and tie it with a with a, a strip of cloth onto a tumbleweed and throw it out, mm-hmm. just delivering it to the into the air and letting it blow away, just as a method of expressing herself. And people start finding these notes, but they don't know who's they don't know who's sending them. Uh, Barry Corbin is in this film. Now, Barry Corbin is a Texan, and uh, he is uh, he's real good in this movie. He's a stagecoach driver, and uh, he's, uh, he's a real good guy. You'll love his character. He's just a, a wonderful guy, and uh, he becomes friends with, with the family and... Uh, it's just a it's a it's a fabulous there's a whole bunch of important characters in this thing people that know conniger people that worked with conniger and uh you know it's uh i i have watched this movie a whole bunch of times whole bunch of times it i'd have to say it's my favorite western i'd have to say it's my favorite western and it more, you know, and here's another important thing that is important to me about this film. One of my friends that I I knew uh, when I was in Colorado back in 1980, met him in 1980, and stayed in touch with him until he died several years ago. His name was Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is in this film. In this film, it's an extra, and I see Charlie walking through the the shot, yeah. you know, and it just. Kind of I cool. miss Charlie. Yeah. Charlie was a good friend of mine. And uh so there's there's that aspect of it as well. I've read the the novel. There's some stuff in the novel that explains some of the parts of the movie that don't quite click as is always the case when you make a a movie out of a novel. You can't put it all in there cuz you don't have time. But Sam Elliott was one of the producers of this film. And uh it's got his his hand all over it and Catherine ross is evie teal and uh that's sam's wife they've been married 40 years or 50 years maybe now i don't know uh 
they're they're both old they've been together a very long time and uh they were in this movie together and it's just it just there's a bunch of things about this movie that are just very sweet i just i just love it It, It, it's interesting it's like a grown-up it's like a love story for grown-ups that are past their prime something you know what i mean sort of oh yeah they're not they're not pretending that they look any different than they are right they're they are they are exactly the age that they are they are exactly the right. people that uh it's a very interesting movie it, it's very true to the material you know lewis moore is one of the greatest storytellers of all times so you stick to his material you're going to do okay right you can't you cannot yeah. go wrong with the louis lamore narrative he just no. knows how to tell a story Yes, and it's very compelling. The story itself is the is the star of this film, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's like the sack. It's it's just it's just such a such a perfect little gem of a of a story idea. Have you found any Western authors that you like that that you read to the same degree of intensity that you read? No, uh, Lewis? no, yeah. I, I I don't. Uh, I guess uh, Elmore Leonard is probably going to be regarded as a yeah yep, a, yep. a fine Western author, but I don't know that Elmore Leonard would tell you that he was better than Louis L'Amour. Probably not. No, no, he's a different guy, but a um, whole different deal, you know. Whole, yeah. Hmm. No, it's a it's a powerful movie. It's a it's a. It's not a throwaway movie. I mean, it, it came out when it came out. It was presented like a throwaway. 1991, yeah. and uh, I think it was a made-for-TV. might have been a Turner production, too. I think it was a Turner production. But it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's way up there on the list Yeah, yeah. Of, of movies that I really enjoy the hell out of watching. So, Conniger, 1991, Conniger. you need to get that. Yeah. All right. All right. This next one um, list, my list, is True Romance. True Romance. 1993 uh, film by Tony Scott. So you got a, a guy that works at a comic book store, and he goes and he enjoys seeing Sonny Chiba movies on his birthday. His friends hire a call girl to come, uh, to come take care of him for the night. She's a hooker with a heart of gold, falls in love with him, Patricia Arquette, who is stunning looking in this. Uh, Christian Slater is the comic book guy. So, so far so good. She decides that they're going to they're gonna get married and they're not, she's not going to go back to hooking. Then the issue comes is that Val Kilmer as Elvis talks to Clarence while Clarence is alone. So Val Kilmer is Elvis. He's talking to Clarence, and he can't stand the fact that uh, that Gary Oldman, the pimp, still has stuff that belongs to his wife, and he's got to go and get this stuff from uh, Gary Oldman, the pimp. And it's uh, directed by uh, Tony Scott. And to say that things go to hell in a handbasket very quickly is an understatement. It is some of the most violent scenes you've ever seen. So Brad Pitt is a stoner friend that uh, 
that you want to live and you hope the best thing is going to happen for him. James Gandolfini is at his most brutal role. He is as brutal in this role as he was in 8mm probably back in the day. So James Gandolfini is a bad guy who really enjoys his work. Uh, it, uh, it's got Chris Penn in it. Uh, it's really well done. It kind of flew under the radar. They, uh, it was called out by one of the politicians about the hyper-violence involved in it. And it has got a lot of violence in it. Uh, the uh, Christian Slater carries a 45 ACP double-action revolver, which is very unusual. It takes uh, takes uh, full moon clips or half moon clips, and uh, it really delivers. It delivers across the board. Get the unrated version. Get the longest version you can find, and you're going to enjoy it. Christian Slater does a superb job. Uh, Patricia Arquette is Alabama. Uh, it it really is well done. It really is interesting. True Romance. I True Romance. I saw that a long time ago. I need to revisit that, I guess. Uh, there's a scene between um, Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper where Christopher Walken is the bad guy and Dennis Hopper is trying to keep information from him That is that is so well played that you'll watch it two or three times just to see these two really bizarre actors go at each other. Just to see the dialogue between these two really bizarre actors. You're going to like this. If you haven't seen it, it's a treat. True romance. Yep. Adding it to my list here. Uh, I've seen it, but it's been a long time ago, and I need to look at it with a more current eye Mm -hmm. than I I had at the time. God, I've got four movies here lately. (laughs) How about that? Don't start with Tremors. You might not watch the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I like movies like Tremors. Monster movies are cool. So maybe I'll maybe I'll be less adversely affected by that than true romance. <laughs> God. Okay, number four on my list is Kingdom of Heaven. And this is a Ridley Scott film. It was it was uh, it was released in two thousand five. It's one of these films that was filmed in Morocco on location. And uh, Kingdom of Heaven is about uh, the Crusades, and it's about the uh, about Jerusalem and uh, all the events that swirled around through history. Uh, about that time, uh, it. Uh, there's a bunch of good actors in it and that that make up for the presence of Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I I'm not a big fan of Orlando Bloom. Uh but the the rest of this cast is uh is so superb. Uh you know who Martin Sokas is? He is a he is a wonderful bad guy. All right. He was Guy de Lusignan in this film, and he's he's a he's a wonderful bad guy. He's so easy to hate, and uh, oh God, there's just there's there's too many excellent characters in this thing to to uh, enumerate. Uh, Eva Green is in it. Hmm. She plays uh, the uh, the the queen, and. Uh, they uh 
And she's expertly cast in this. I liked her better in this than I did in the Bond film Casino Royale. She was she was just perfect in this role. And uh, there was a, a Syrian actor by the name of Ghassan Masood who played uh, 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 the uh, Muslim, the the Islam character uh that was the counterpoint uh the counterpart of the uh of uh the christian guys the the king of jerusalem uh and uh salahadin was his was his name and he's 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 not a big guy he's not a, he's not a big man but his presence in this film is just amazing as the as the head of the Islamic forces in this thing. This is a war movie. Uh, there is a there's a whole bunch of very very good special effects in this thing. They use trebuchets, and they're tearing down walls with big rocks, and there's siege towers, and there's all of this. Oh, it's a it's a hideously expensive movie to have made. There's no doubt about it, and. Uh, there's, you know, there's thousands of extras. You know, if it's not thousands, it's many, many hundreds. And uh, because you've got armies on both sides and all of these shots are just full of people from front to back. And it's just, it's an amazing film. It really is. It's one of Ridley Scott's, you know, probably one of his underappreciated ones. And, and once again, this thing got the shit kicked out of it on on uh, by the critics which is always a good sign so you know so once again you know ridley scott you like what he produces or you don't like what he produces he's got a vision of what the hell the movie should be oh yes so ridley scott he's he's got a vision and his he's he's like king of the golden 15 minutes i believe they call it in the morning and in the evening and he'll keep a crew there he'll keep everybody there he'll he'll work people to death to accomplish what he wants to out of a shot. Right. And he's got a very clear he idea. He wants that natural light at the beginning and the end of the day. He wants that's, that's evident as hell in this film. Is it? So he's, yes. he's got a vision and he wants it to, he wants this vision to be realized. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. But there's no doubt that this is his, this is his thing. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is one of these big epic things. And when it was released back in, in 2005, uh, the theatrical release uh, was, a, was a great film. <laughs> but he was extremely unsatisfied with this, just like he was uh, with Blade Runner. When he released Blade Runner, they, the, the studio just fucked that up. Chopped it to shit. Chopped yeah. it to shit. Changed the 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 format. Did a did some kind of a prologue with you know Harrison Ford reading a deal and and that wasn't designed. It wasn't designed that way. But they decided that they knew more about it than Scott did. So uh, the same thing occurred with Kingdom of Heaven. They removed about a half hour of a very very important plot line from this film. And his director's cut adds it back in. 
and it's it suddenly things make sense where if you were a critical observer you thought to yourself why is she doing that right you know and and, and that doesn't make any sense well she's doing it because of the shit that they edited out of the film that explains why she's doing this and it's it's uh the, the director's cut is what you want to watch. It's a long film. It's two hours and 45 minutes, but it, it just, it's a very important movie. And I, you know, it's it, for a sword movie. This is a fabulous, fabulous sword movie. And, uh, it's, uh, if, if you want to get lost in, in the history of a thousand years ago, this is 900 years ago. This is, this is your movie. And it's, uh, it's it's very very well done the script is excellent all of the complicated plot stuff is put back in it with the director's cut and it's it's a it despite orlando bloom this is one of my top five movies of all time it uh i've i've seen it once i'm going to revisit it again Uh, i think you i think you did you see the theatrical version the first time no, I saw the extended version. Yeah, extended version. Um, it's it's another one that kind of blew under the radar, right? It did. Oh yeah, yeah, it blew under the radar. Yeah. It did. I I can't imagine a Ridley Scott movie traveling under the radar. The man doesn't make things that no. are not top notch. He does not. He does not half ass anything. Every one of the scenes of every one of his movies needs to be there and they're perfect yeah they have they have a purpose he doesn't make mistakes like that he doesn't make narrative mistakes and he doesn't shoot film that's he doesn't do anything he doesn't make errors in terms of his presentation of the material to to the audience he doesn't make errors at all he's got a very clear idea what he wants and he'll keep at it till he gets and it's and it's a and it's the right idea his version yeah. is the right one. Right. Trust him. Yeah. You know? let, let him do his thing. Yeah. Let him do his thing and you just sit there and enjoy it. Yeah. So Kingdom of Heaven, uh, the 2005 film. That's my number four. All right. Number four. All right. What uh, my number three movie is uh, Wind River 2017. Taylor Sheridan movie. It's got Jeremy right. Renner and Elizabeth Olsen in it. Right. And uh, it completely flew under the radar. I saw it one evening. Uh, I just was clicking around and saw it and clicked on it. And uh, what immediately struck me about this movie is the technical competence of the characters in it, right? So, mm-hmm. so the idea is that, that uh, it starts off, the scene starts off, it's a brutal movie. Uh, it starts off with a, uh, a Native American uh, woman uh, running through the snow, and the thing that you get out of this scene is how brutal the environment is, how absolutely unforgiving everything is, how everything could turn to crap at any second, and how brutal the environment is. Uh, uh, Jeremy Renner uh, is a hunter for the wildlife fishing game. He finds her body, and they bring in an FBI agent, which is Elizabeth Olsen, to investigate. And uh, it's a it's a procedural to a degree, but the performances of the the actors and the actresses are uh, really superb. It shows the difference between the competency of of uh, the competency of of locals 
uh, law enforcement, at the competency of, of the professional hunter, which is what Renner is, right? And that it shows the, the issues that the feds have when they come into an environment like this. It's really well done. It's got one of the best shootouts. The guy carries, uh, Jeremy carries a, a, uh, a Marlin 4570 stainless steel big loop with a forward mount scope, which comes into play a couple times. Uh, it's really well done. You'll, you'll enjoy this move. You'll, and there's some powerful performances. If you watch any of Taylor Sheridan stuff, you will see a lot of the actors that he prefers to use. You'll see him here in different roles, and you'll see him in his other stuff. He likes a certain group of actors, obviously, that he prefers to use. All the characters sell who they are. If a guy is, a, if a guy is selling you that he's a, a piece of crap uh, uh, meth head, he sells that. If one of them gets sprayed with pepper spray, they sell that they've been uh, sprayed with pepper spray. Uh, it's really well done. Have you, have you seen it recently? I, I have... Uh... When you mentioned this to me, uh, it's last year, a couple of years ago, I went and got it and I've watched it. I probably watched that three times and it's yeah. a, it's fabulous film. It's fabulous yeah. film that the, the subject doesn't interest me as much as it does you, but I've watched it three times and Elizabeth Olsen is a, a really an amazing actress. She has risen so far above her two silly ass sisters uh that she's a pro she's she's excellent and renner in this role i i I like him in all of the marvel movies that he's been in you know when he was hawkeye and but in this role he he plays a a serious guy in this thing and this this uh they do a fabulous job of putting you in a in a harsh winter environment up in the Northwest and uh, making you really not want to be there. Right. You see how this isn't postcard stuff. This, this isn't the postcard uh, Northwest. The um, uh, he, you know, he brings a competency to all his roles. Uh, But in this one, that really comes out from the, his choice of gear to his weapons, to his wardrobe, now Elizabeth Olsen, you know, before before Elizabeth Olsen became like the Marvel darling, you know, she was a very committed uh, independent actor uh, actor in independent films. I mean, this was the girl from Old Boy. This was the 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 the, the, the actress in all those different independent films. If you haven't seen her work, you should go backtrack uh, and go to yeah, the back of the. I, I haven't seen that. I've, I was impressed with her in Godzilla. Yeah, she, that, she did a great job in that in that movie. That was that was good. You you want to see some now? The movies might not hold up quite well, but but go back to the back of the rack on Elizabeth Olsen and see some of the the stuff that she's done in the past and some of the the really um, sort of courageous roles that she took, right? Like thankless roles that she took mm-hmm. to to and it's, it's she's 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 capable, man. I mean, she really is. She delivers. Right. And her character in this movie, uh, her, her position is that she was at a weapons course in Vegas and when they brought her out here to investigate this murder. Well, there's a couple scenes where she she delivers on that. So you, you would guess that she did pretty good at that weapons course. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a one magazine change in particular that she does that really, really looks good. They, they, they mm-hmm. capture accurately it looks good and she she was practiced enough to do it i don't know how many takes it took but she absolutely delivered right 
Well, that's a that's a it's a it's a great film, Wind River. Uh, you guys need to see that. Uh, it is uh, what did you say, two thousand seventeen? Yeah, twenty seventeen. Believe so it or not, it's a fairly recent film, and uh, it's it's I've got it on DVD, and uh, you know that's uh, that's as modern as I'm going to go with it, probably. <laughs> It's as far as you go. Yeah, as far as I go, because it's a you know I can watch a TV. I don't need to see it in 4K. You know, no. I, I'm not going to pay that much money for 4K yet. That'll be that'll get cheaper. You know, <laughs> as they start phasing out DVD players, you're going to have to get everything in 4K. If they came up with like, I've got 4K now. It's supposed to be 8K, but there's no material 8K. If they came out with something that they said, John, it's a little bit clearer than you got right now, but it's a thousand dollars. I'd be like, okay, I'm in. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> ah, what are you gonna do? You know, thousand dollars is look. We watch movies every night. We might as well I'm watch in. them correctly. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. Can I get somebody to deliver? Can they deliver so I don't have to carry it myself? Yeah. All right. My number three now is uh, this is a movie I saw at the theater in 1975. It is called The Wind and the Lion. It is a John Milius movie. I think it was his first movie as a director. And it is loosely based on the Perdicaris incident in Morocco at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, so it's like 1898 or, or 1901, somewhere in there. There was an incident in Morocco where a local uh, guy kidnapped a, an American politician and held him for hostage, or American diplomat or something, held him hostage. Well, so uh, Milius converted that into a, a fictionalized story of uh, the Berber bandit, whose name was Raisuli, uh, played by Sean Connery. Uh, kidnapping uh, a woman by the name of Pedicaris. Eden Pedicaris was her name. She had two kids. And so the the story is that that the Raisuli is irritated by all of the political goings-on around him. He doesn't like the fact that the Germans are interfering in, in the desert politics, and he doesn't like the fact that the you know, his local relatives and people he knows are kowtowing to the Germans, and he doesn't like really doesn't like the Americans. And, and so, what he decides to do is he's going to kidnap this woman and hold her for ransom, just to show them who's boss, right? And uh, Sean Connery plays the 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 Rasuli. Candace Bergen plays uh, Mrs. Pedicaris. And Brian Keith, Brian Keith plays the best Theodore Roosevelt that anyone has ever played. Well, you, is, you want you want Theodore Roosevelt to be the way that Brian Keith played him. That's exactly you him right. That. that you, you want if, when you think of Theodore Roosevelt, then you're yeah. thinking that if Brian if he was not like Brian Keith's depiction of him, that that would disappoint you. It would upset you, right? It would. It would. It would very much. Yeah. And 
strikes me about this movie, it, it's very interesting because the characters are all, you know, I don't remember any cowards in this movie, no. right? The From characters the, are all really archetypes. Yeah, yeah. But, but and Milius wrote it that way because he, yeah. he wanted the, the, you know, the, the, this is, this is a fantasy movie if as much as it is historical fiction. Uh, the guy standing up firing that little snub nose revolver as he's being overrun, right? Yeah. By, uh, you know, that, that sort of, uh, British, uh, stiff upper lip bravery in the face right. of overwhelming odds. All of that plays really well. I had that not, actor I had was uh, he was uh, actually a member of the crew. Really, yeah, I just read about this the other night. I can't remember all the details because I'm 67, and I can't remember basically anything. But uh, the uh, the 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 crew they they did this all on location in in Morocco and Spain, and. Uh, they were never in town. They were always out on location on this thing, and it was a hard shoot. And uh, Terry Leonard was the the stunt coordinator for the thing, and he's the one that tripped all the horses. And you know he's come under fire for they did a they did a they had a scene where they tripped a bunch of horses. Oh yeah, like yeah, twenty five yeah, yeah. thirty horses with a trip yeah. wire, and he claims that none of them got hurt. I don't. Yeah, I, you know I horses better than me. I don't yeah. know how it would be. I can't trip in my tough, kitchen you know. without getting hurt. I can't trip in my kitchen without falling down and hurting myself. So well, yeah. and I mean, there you know, you got twenty five, yeah. thirty horseback riders, and they trip to damn all the horses of the trip, <laughs> and it's just a spectacular wreck. Oh God Almighty! And he claimed nobody got hurt. Well, all right, nobody got hurt. Fine, but <laughs> that was a spectacular mess. But. uh you know, and you know the critics just beat this thing to death. <laughs> you know, like they always do. This is my about my favorite movie of all time, and they beat it to death. You know, look, the Rice Sully's not going to have a Scottish accent. He's, you know, Sean Connery's paying this guy with a Scottish accent. Who cares? <laughs> you fools! Who cares about that? Yeah. Can you not the sit there and be entertained by this? You know, it, it's insane to me that these people would worry about the silly little bullshit details that nobody else even notices. They haven't liked Sean Connery since he gave up his citizenship so he didn't get taxed by the Brits. Nobody's liked him since then. So so they haven't liked <laughs> Sean Connery forever. That's all right. Yeah, well, that's fine. Good for him. Yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, I miss him. God, when did he die? A couple of years ago. Couple years ago, a couple yeah. years ago, it's that's a big hole in Hollywood, you know. Yes, it uh, is. so the wind of the lion, it's a it's a fabulous hero movie. It's a hero tale, and uh, the Raisuli is a hero. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt is a hero. There are heroes all through this thing, and I, I just, but the 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 counterpoint between. Theodore Roosevelt and the Rysuli is the is the the back and forth aspect of this of this film and it's uh, it's just it's it's so fine. It's just a fine, fine movie. And it was Milius's he was in his twenties when he directed this, huh? How he got yeah. himself in a position like this. But it's a bold you know, move in your twenties. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, yeah, and it, this thing holds up so nicely today. It's just, it's such a good film. So if you haven't seen The Wind and the Lion, uh, you you need to see this. Mm-hmm. So that's my number three. Number three. Well, my my number two movie is one we've talked about before. Uh, uh, I introduced you this to you mm-hmm. relatively recently, I guess last to us relatively recently, like anything last 10 years, uh, the professionals, right? Right. My favorite Western of all time. Uh, one of my favorite movies, my number two, two movie. It's fun to watch. I started watching it first when I was a kid, when it would come on TV and it was all chopped to pieces. And then as it became available in better mediums, I watched it. And then a few years ago, I watched it in high def again. And it's just more uh, remarkable so it's set at the end of the mexican revolution or right after the mexican revolution uh, a guy's wife gets stolen he goes to lee marvin and they're going to lead a group of professionals into mexico and steal her back and it's a classic heist movie right they're picking out their team and uh and then of course things aren't as they seem and and the, the whole the, the whole premise on this movie is this you've got a group of four competent tough guys going after a very competent tough guy too and uh it really delivers well it's got some hollywood stuff you know the westerns back in that day they like to play around with dynamite a little too much i think yeah yeah dynamite's not narrative effect it's not just but, a firecracker and it's no. uh but uh and, but the, all the weapon stuff i read that lee marvin took charge of maintaining the weapons because he was so fanatical about that sort of stuff you can read about the filming of it about lee marvin and, and willie strode who played the the archer character and it he uh they would hang out in vegas and get just hammered drunk uh all the time and uh it's just really well done uh the 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 women in it, uh, let me see, Maria Gomez as Chiquita is the main female uh, on the bandit side, and then Claudia Cardinal is the is the wife who was kidnapped. Right. Classic lines. So when is this filmed? Uh, 1966. 66 it, release. 66, yeah, 66 yeah. release. And uh, the um, Burt Lancaster, you know, he's a superb physical specimen anyway, right? He was an yeah. acrobat he became an actor so he did a bunch of his own stunts he and lee marvin apparently had a case of the ass against each other because lee marvin was drunk most of the time and burt lancaster didn't appreciate that uh but they uh it really comes out well there's there's so many little things in this movie that that i find interesting like simply working the the, working the bolt on that 1897 working the slide on that 1897 and then lowering the hammer you know and and the and they carry revolvers they carry semi-automatics um I read someplace that uh, that the desert uh, will kill you if you're if you're neglectful uh, was the term they used. So there's all these scenes of these guys uh, shaving and cleaning up before they go, and making sure that their equipment's just right, the guns are just right. All those little scenes are very interesting to me. Yeah. It's a really well done western. If you haven't seen it, you're really missing out. The professionals. The professionals. Right. Excellent film. From the golden age of, I guess that's probably, who was the director of that movie? It wasn't John Ford, was it? No, it didn't have the scope of John Ford. Uh, Richard Brooks. Richard Brooks. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting film, The Professionals. That's, they were making a bunch of, that was the, the heyday of the Western back in the 60s. 
Yeah, uh, I, th I think it would have been a throwaway. I don't know this, but I think it would have been a throwaway Western that, you know, there was just one more that popped up. Right. If it would have been that interesting time between the transition in weapons where it was as modern because they had trains, but they right. were still horses. And and also the the dynamic of the characters that they used early nineteen hundreds, yeah, yeah. So they had semi-automatic pistols. They had a Winchester eighteen ninety seven shotgun. They've got yep, you know, yep. and they had double action revolvers were probably available at the time. And had double action revolvers. The characters carried double action revolvers. There was a couple single actions, of course. Uh, the character played by Lee Marvin, he's a weapons expert. Uh, I read an article that said that they had revisited how often he was drunk, and they said that the only time that they think he was drunk was the first scene when he's demonstrating the machine gun that he's shooting. And I don't. That's what the article said. So I find that pretty interesting when the only time you're drunk is when you're manipulating a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> Pressing the envelope, right? But uh, well, you'll like it holds up well. The professional. So my number two now is uh, is the Wolfman. Two thousand ten, the Wolfman with Benicio del Toro, Anthony Hopkins, uh, the fascinating Emily Blunt, and Hugo Weaving. This is a great cast. This is one of these movies. This this may I have may have watched this more than any other movie in my in my shelf. I love it. I just love the sets. I love the dark foreboding lighting on the thing. I like the natural light that that the scenes are shot in. This is like, you know, Barry Lyndon like natural light kind of things. <laughs> They're they're shooting the the pub scene, the scenes in the mansion. They're all natural light, and it's it's uh, uh, cinematography is great. They use uh, a a famous manor house for the interiors of this thing that are, has been used in a lot of a lot of movies, and uh, it's uh, the 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 Wolfman. Uh, the werewolf costumes and special effects and makeup are absolutely the best that have ever been filmed. There's nothing even touches it, but it remains true to the vision of the, of the werewolf in the first werewolf movie. It doesn't look like a wolf. It looks like a wolf man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing. One of the things that, fascinates me about this thing is it, you watch the wolfman and you come away with anything uh, other than you know physical strength is real important <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well yeah one of the there's a scene in there where the the wolfman comes up on this guy and hits him in the head and tears his head off just the cap swats him. Swats, swats his with head a, off. With, a, with his hand. Yeah. Just knocks cat. his head all the way off. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's just absolutely, the, the the transformation is very, very, very carefully done. I don't have the slightest idea how they did this, but they, they're they conservative with the shots. 
They don't show you the whole thing, but what they do show you is so carefully edited together that this is a this is a damned convincing transformation from man into wolf. And it's it, it occurs two or three times. They don't beat you to death with it, but they show it to you enough to where it's in your mind that this guy just turned into a wolf. And it's, I, it's beautiful. I would have to look to see it looked I don't remember seeing what I would I mean it was it was practical effects, right? It was in camera stuff, right? In camera. I don't know. Right. John, I don't I don't have the slightest idea. It didn't look CG. No, it didn't look CG to me. It, so it, the, you've seen it more than me, but I mean you you have to you'd have to try really hard to screw up Anthony Hopkins and Benicio del Toro in a movie, right? Yeah. You'd have to work at making that not a good movie. No, and uh, they they did a they did a great job with uh portraying these bizarre characters. Anthony Hopkins, my god, that guy he looks at you, and he's the bad guy in the movie. Yeah. He's the original werewolf in the movie, and he, when he looks at you, his eyes are dead. Yeah, he's Do you a, remember this part of the thing? Yeah, he a, just gazes at you like you're a rock. Well, they don't, they don't try to hide the fact. I mean, you could say that it's a reveal, but it's not really a reveal because he's presented as the bad guy through the whole movie, and that wasn't right. bad. He's the he's the overwhelming uh, presence, right? He is yes. the he is the overwhelming presence in this movie. Yes, and he not is, not the son, not no, Benicio not, del Toro, not uh, no, not Lawrence, the, but it's the the old man Talbot is is the is the bad guy in this movie. He's the one that brought the lycanthropy virus back from the Middle East, and he's the one that's been locked up every full moon in the basement by his servant saying and and uh it's uh he's the he's the one that decides to let the beast run free and fuck everybody and up you you, you get know? the he enjoys it too he and you he know yeah he enjoys, to do that yes he enjoys being a bad guy yeah that's who he is um the original werewolf if i'm not mistaken the the curse that you bring the curse on yourself right that's the that's the premise of it, right? You did something. Yeah, I don't remember that. how that how that they explained that during that first movie. It, uh, I believe I believe he did something to somebody, and they put a curse on him. So I think that that's sort of the the idea that you bring this evil on yourself, right? right. Uh, but in, uh, yeah, in this movie they they mentioned a small boy in a cave up way up in the mountains in you know wherever whatever country that was supposed to be and. and uh, and uh, Mr. Talbot gets bit on the arm, mm -hmm. and that's what starts the process. So they're implying it's a virus, right. and uh, and uh, you know it's that, that that's fine. Uh, there was a an early werewolf movie called The Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed in it. That was a very <laughs> very good movie, long time ago. It it's it's real dated compared yeah. to this thing. This thing resets the 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 bar completely i tried to i tried to revisit the lon cheney version you know and nah, it's just... i like i like that the werewolf walks around on his feet you know uh but it's some of these movies are kind of hard to watch you got to watch them from a historical perspective right you have to yeah. not be disappointed at what you're seeing you have to investigate yeah. the movie instead of try to be entertained by the movie yeah. 
Yeah. Because it's just the this modern filmmaking has has raised the bar so high. It's, you know, it's nothing's going to hold up from the 30s. It's just not going to hold up. But uh, the this thing is, uh, I, you know, I watch it over and over, and it's it's just there's not a there's not a shitty scene. Nothing's out of place. Everything's right where it ought to be. All the lines are perfect. It's a perfect film. It's absolutely oh, a perfect film. I'll watch it again. I haven't seen it in a while. Watch, watch the it. extended version. Watch it. I will. Watch the extended version. The extended version has a whole bunch of stuff in it that the censors didn't thought was too gross. Oh, good. I'll check it out. Oh, they've got one of the one of the murder scenes in this thing. There are guts. There are clearly what is clearly intestines and liver and shit all over the ground, and uh, they they made him cut that out. Now, if that were if that was not if that was just rubber, you know, he probably would have left it in. But this is this is they went and got sheep guts and shit and put it all over the all over the grass, and uh, is a it's a you know it's there's some stuff added that that you know a student of this kind of shit needs to see yeah so wolfman 2010 very good that's my number two so what's your number one john so i think um this is your favorite movie of all time so honesty is very important uh and especially when it comes to art and my favorite movie of all time the one that I will watch if it's on anywhere. The one that I have been known to purchase when I had it on DVD because it was easier to click purchase and watch on the big screen than it was to get up and get the DVD and put it in the player. That movie is 1989's Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Wow. Favorite movie to watch of all time. That movie teaches us the most important things ever, Rich. Number one, one, never underestimate underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. That sounds like two, but that's only one rule. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. This is wisdom is throughout this whole movie. Patrick Swayze is a is a cooler, which is a way cooler version of a bouncer. And he goes around from place to place for a relatively small amount of money, which they talk about in the beginning of the movie, cooling bars and fixing things. And he is, even before internet and YouTube, he is famous among the world. The only one that's more famous than him is Sam Elliott. And as the guy says, I want the best. And Patrick Swayze says... Uh, Sam Elliott's character, whatever the hell his name is in the movie, he goes, Wade, he goes, Wade Garrett's the best. He goes, Wade Garrett's old. Patrick Swayze says he's still the best. So this movie is about Patrick Swayze leaving one job and going to another. The first five minutes of the movie tells you everything you need to know. There's going to be really good music. There's going to be really cool cars. There's going to be bars and there's going to be women and there's going to be people dressed like the 80s because it was the 80s. Now, I miss the 80s desperately. There's no doubt about that. I'll pretend that I don't. But it is a, it's a fun movie. If you go into this movie, and I've stolen this line from you, I still credit you with it, is if you go in this movie pre- prepared to be entertained, it's got Jeff Healy. He's a blues singer. Yeah. He's at the bar. He plays at a bar that's so dangerous 
Rip, that they got to put chicken wire in front of the place because they throw beer bottles at the bar. It's right. spectacular. Well, that, that was in the Blues Brothers, too. The Blues they they, they too. stole that, didn't they? Yeah, pain Don't Hurt. Kelly Lynch is in it. Uh, uh, you can apparently in this world, you can commit any manner of felonies, and it's apparently simply okay. Um, felonious assaults, one after another after another. Uh, Patrick Swayze travels around with his medical file because he gets hurt so often. Part of his pay deal is that you got to cover all medical expenses. Um, there's, a couple, there's a couple of very cool cars in there. So he starts out with a Buick Riviera, and it's the car that he has, as you learn very quickly, because it's going to get trashed all the time at these bars. And then he drives a Mercedes out of the place, and the Mercedes is meant to be the most cool car, right? And then when he gets a place and he's got to trade that in for, a, he's got to hide that car and then get a, a less expensive car because it's going to get trashed. He picked up, he picks up another Buick Riviera, but it's the one with the with the headlights that open and shut, right? You remember right. the little headlights? Right, right. It's the movie's glorious. It's you know the, the 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 amount of lines, how you can quote that movie over and over again. You can't get tired of seeing it um, if you haven't seen it in a long while. Yeah, revisit it with 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 open eyes. See it for what it is. I mean, this is a world right. where it's all right to wear normal pants and a martial arts gi tucked into those pants. That's a world where this is okay. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a world where it's, it's a world where it's all right to have a little knife on your boot and walk around with this knife on the boot. And if you're in a smoky bar. You can see this knife glinting light from like a hundred feet away. And you can say, <laughs> right boot. You know, you can say that out loud. Everybody knows what you're talking about. It, it's, oh, that's just geez. entered into. Uh, it's got uh, some great, uh, great characters in it. Uh, there's a guy named, uh, hell, what is his name? Terry Funk. He's the wrestler. Terry Funk, the wrestler. He's in it. He plays a bad guy called Morgan. Um uh, these, uh, the uh, main bad guy, Marshall Teague, is uh, is Patrick Swayze's main bad guy. He's a he's a very capable, interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, you'll just you'll just like it. There's nothing but the, it's it's there's nothing but the good side of what tough guys are and the bad side of what tough guys are. That's what right. the movie. All right, Roadhouse. It's on my list. <laughs> Roadhouse is on my list. All right, and my final. Film here, number one on my list, favorite of all time, is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Notice so the difference in John and my. <laughs> Notice the stark difference in our tastes in movies. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey was released in 68 and was in development for two or three years. This is, this is probably when everybody realized that this Kubrick guy is not fucking around. You know, this movie was filmed 55 years ago. That's kind of nuts, right? And it holds up perfectly because Kubrick paid attention to what, to the reality of the environment in which he was portraying the reality of the environment he portrayed 
he was true to the whole time. If it was zero G, it was zero G. And things had to work. And if he, if they wouldn't work, he made them look like they worked. And it, it just have this, this film is, you know, we've talked about this in, in our science fiction show, so I'm not going to just beat the piss out of this, but I, this is a, uh, this is an amazing film. It's an amazing film. It may be the, I, it, it's without a doubt, it's the best film from a film standpoint on this list. In, in, in my way of thinking, this is, it, it is an amazing piece of cinematography history. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, the genius of Stanley Kubrick. I watched it, uh, four nights ago because it's been so long since I saw it. And the last time I saw it would have been on network TV on the small screen. Right. So, right. So I watched it uh, the other night and you kind of view it two different ways. I view it as a piece of history, remarkable considering how far it is. And I look at the, I look at the, the models that they had to use, right? Cause those were all models, right? Yes. So I'm looking at models. I'm looking at the, the filming complexities, the zero G stuff where they had, they obviously had to build some huge, rotating thing to walk around in right, right. so that it would which they did yeah so so uh i looked at that i looked at some of the the references to what would have been pop culture at the time right the restaurants and stuff so it, it really was a remarkable piece of filmmaking as an entertainment thing i mean he stayed true to his vision there's no doubt about that right, right. he ain't going to change off his vision no an entertaining vehicle i uh I don't. If I hadn't read about it beforehand, I don't think that I would have enjoyed it as much. I think maybe that you got to watch that movie and then read about it and then watch it again, right? Right. Because because there were some there were some moments, and I, I can watch a movie relatively carefully. There were some moments where I wasn't quite sure what the hell was going on. Well, you know? the the end of the movie, he was not interested in you understanding what the hell was going on. Right. And he would tell you that, you know, yeah. this is, you make out of this, whatever you want to make out of it. This is just the way I'm showing it to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were, there were very explicit instructions left by Kubrick that that movie was never to be altered or added to. He had two or three boxes of, of film in his garage that were outtakes and and stuff that he edited out of the mm-hmm. of the uh, of the film that he destroyed, he personally destroyed so that it could not be altered. There is a very very long Wikipedia page on this film, very long Wikipedia page on this film. It's probably been one of the most written about films in the history of Hollywood. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going on in this film. And it's a, I mean, if you're, if you're terribly interested in it, you know, and I've already read all this stuff, I would, you know, uh, Wikipedia is a pain in the ass for some things, but for things like this, it's a, this is a real good place to learn things. And, uh, if, so 2001, a space odyssey, the, the, uh, the the thing uh 
it 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 transcends the actors it transcends the director it transcends everything it's just a it's a terribly important piece of american filmmaking and and as far as i'm concerned it's the best movie that's ever been made and it's uh, yeah and i could see how you wouldn't be entertained by it because one of the things about kubrick is he didn't care if you were entertained by it he did not he didn't he, did he not didn't care if you were entertained by it if he had cared whether you were entertained by the thing or not he would never have shot barry Lyndon. I, I can't Dude, imagine that that is a weird movie. <laughs> so so I, I understand some of the hell that he put the amount of, you know, scene take after take after take, the sort of grief that he would put his actors through in the more modern movies. When it comes to this sort of thing with the amount of models and the stuff that could go wrong, I can't imagine there was anything fun about that set. I can't no, imagine one was- pleasant it was like i'm sure that thing was like digging a ditch yeah it was you just know? over and over again never ending right never ending. right yeah. right not quite what i wanted let's try it again here's what i think needs to change and you know probably days on the same shot like the first sequence opening sequence with the the apes oh yeah black never- leopard and all that yeah. shit yeah I, how you do that how did they shoot that fucking set? That scene. That's, how did they do that? You bought into the fact that these were these were pre-human, right? I mean, you brought into it that those were our ancestors. That yeah. they deli- they delivered that, and that's that's like I said, thirty-five-year-old technology, right? That you they delivered on. That's what you were seeing. You weren't doubting that. That's what you were seeing. That was actually a black leopard jumping on the fucking actor. <laughs> I mean, good God! What well, the, kind of a lunatic would let a, a well, you know? I, I just you know the whole damn thing was just so. Anyway, without beating that to death, since we talked to it, talked about it extensively in the science fiction show, uh, two thousand one. That's that's my number one. And so, boys and girls, that's kind of the whole damn thing. I, you know, if you're still with us, good. Uh, <laughs> This is uh, my and John's uh, favorite movies show. And we hope that we have given you some ideas about what to watch next. I've gotten some ideas from John today about what I'm going to go buy. And and maybe uh, we have uh, made you think about some stuff and uh, we can expand your horizons uh with respect to um the movies you're going to watch for the next few days and i hope you enjoy them i really do john thank you for joining us again on this and we've we're not through with this movie thing we can talk about that for a long time we still got to talk about spy movies hell yeah we got we got plenty of things all kind of things to talk about all kind of things to talk about so Thank you guys for joining us here on Starting Strength Radio. John, thank you for being with us, and we will see all of you guys next time. 